We are live here, Corey Brattle from the Hawkeye of the Storm and the voice of college football recapping what was a 34-6 victory for the Iowa Hawkeyes over the Indiana Hoosiers and uh, certainly a lot to talk about. We're going to take the better part of the next hour to hour and a half depending on how many people we have here uh, and of course uh, our good friend Don Patterson, former Iowa assistant, will be joining us here shortly so we have a lot to unpack but again iowa with the dominating effort today over indiana um you know defense was obviously the story the secondary excelled for iowa you think about the two pick sixes from cornerback riley moss matt hankins nearly had one in the second half had it not been for a roughing the passer penalty uh against i believe that was john wagoner uh so a tremendous win for iowa uh, I know there's still questions. I know we'll probably get comments and maybe even some calls during this show about Spencer Petras at quarterback. I, I was reading on social media during the game some of the complaints. I get it. Uh, he is not where we want him right now if you're an Iowa fan. And I understand the concerns. But it's going to be very hard for me to be negative after defeating uh, the number 17 team in the country in Indiana. So, again, we'll be joined by Iowa coach Don Patterson uh, shortly. But in the meantime, we are here to talk all about Iowa's victory over Indiana. If you do want to call us, you can call us and we can get your thoughts on the game. We'll pop up a phone number here for you to call, 860-499-3332. Again, 860-499-3332 if you want to talk about Iowa and Indiana. Michael Penix struggled mightily. I'm going to pull up the box score here as we uh, get some more people onto our live stream. Uh, it started off the, right off the bat. I think the crowd really had a major impact on this game. You could tell uh, Michael Penix was rattled early uh, and often. Uh, certainly the pick six, the first one to Riley Moss, I think that was a result of, uh, you know, first of all, Penix nearly had a turnover where he shoveled the ball forward. He had lost the ball um, after the snap and then tried to shovel it forward past the line of scrimmage. It ended up being called an incomplete pass. So Penix got away with it, but I believe it was the very next play. He got in trouble with the interception. And uh, that was kind of the story of the game. Just never looked comfortable. You know, kind of, we kind of talk about uh, Spencer Petrix being a statue in the pocket. I would almost say that Penix looked like a statue in the pocket today. You know, he's a guy who's mobile, or typically we think of him as a guy who can be more mobile. But he really did not show any desire to leave the pocket today. And credit to Iowa's young defensive line. Um, I thought they kept him in check. It's a game we're on. It seemed like Iowa struggled to get more pressure on Michael Penix. But, boy, uh, the Iowa secondary looked really good. Uh, Iowa linebackers looked really good. So we will uh, run through the box score here. First of all, for Iowa, Spencer Petras ended up with 154 yards 13, to, uh, 13 of 27, excuse me, passing the football. Uh, no touchdowns, no picks. Spencer did what he's going to have to do for Iowa to have a good season. Not to have a great season, but he did what they have to do to have a good season. And that is manage the game, not make any dumb turnovers, not cough up the football, not throw picks. He did that today. If you're an Iowa fan, you have to be happy with that. Now, long ways to go for Spencer. I'm sure we'll talk about um his season in the coming hour and especially with don patterson here in a few minutes once he jumps on with us tyler goodson really jumped on top of the hoosiers early with his 
long run of 56 yards for the touchdown of the right sideline. I thought the run game was okay. Um, I had voiced some concerns heading into this game on our channel here at Iowa, the voice of college football about some concerns with the offensive line. I thought uh, when Kirk Ferentz had said earlier in the week that he was concerned, or it, I guess he didn't say verbatim that he was concerned, but he did say that he would be rotating seven or eight offensive linemen in. Uh, that concerned me. Uh, the way I look at Iowa's line defensively and offensively, the defensive line, if you have seven or eight guys, I think that usually is an indicator of health and strength and depth for Iowa. And I'm no expert on the offensive line, but my take on the offensive line for Iowa is when Iowa has seven or eight guys rotating or even six or seven guys rotating on the offensive line, to me, that's a sign of weakness. If you look at Kirk Ferentz, and of course, he's a former line coach himself, he typically likes to have guys, and, and why wouldn't you, guys that are uh, every down guys, look, a Tyler Linderbaum, and every series guys, every drive get guy type of guys. Um, certainly Tyler Linderbaum going down with the injury after the Spencer Petras touchdown was a concern. He got back in the game, and that's a good sign. But again, uh, the line is concerning a little bit to me still. Uh, I thought the running game improved as the game went on. Tyler Goodson ended up with 19 carries for 99 yards with the long of 56, a healthy 5.2 a carry. Ivory Kelly Martin, 8 carries, 44 yards, 5.5 for carry. Tyrone Tracy ran a couple as well uh, on some jet sweep action. He had two carries for 14 yards. They did run some Wildcat, not quite as much as I thought they would. Um, but again, overall, I thought the run game was okay. Um, you know, I think expectations are a bit higher for this run game this year, not just because of Tyler Goodson, but also because of, um, you know, the, the superb performance from this line last year. They did lose a lot. You lose Mark Kallenberger, you lose Alaric Jackson, you lose Koi Kronk, who I know he wasn't a huge feature last year, but he was stable depth for the Indiana transfer. So um, I think expectations, at least for me, were higher. And uh, overall, I think they did okay. You look at the numbers, they did okay. It's a young line. Connor Colby got a lot of snaps. Of course, they're trying to make up for the loss of Kyler Schott right now. Um, but again, the guys they, they played, Mason Richmond at left tackle, Jack Plum played some, I think I saw him some snaps at right tackle, which was a bit of a surprise to me. We saw Nick DeYoung, uh, Justin Britt played most of the game, I believe. It seemed like the most stable players on this line right now are, of course, Tyler Linderbaum. And maybe Justin Britt, who I know is getting more playing time because of the shot injury. Cody Ince, I'd put up there as well, those three guys. And after that, you've probably got four or five guys that you could kind of mix and match. I even saw Michael Mislinski there. Um, at the end. So offensive line, still some work to do. You hope that the old mantra of the biggest improvement is from week one to week two. You hope that that holds true for Iowa. Appreciate the support, Wisconsin sports fan. And um, I'm assuming you are an Indiana fan because you say your teams are 0-2 today. And Wisconsin did go down with a tough loss to Penn State. And if you're an Iowa fan, listen, I know it's too early to be talking about West Division title aspirations, but you've got to be happy that Wisconsin's lost already, Minnesota's lost already, Nebraska's lost already, and Northwestern's lost already. They've all lost Big Ten games, okay? And they've lost to East opponents, minus Nebraska, who lost to Illinois. But Illinois, in my mind, is not a factor. Hawkeye Howard, you were right. You told us 12-0, Hawkeye Howard. So I'm holding you to 12-0. 
we shall see if you were right on the 12 and 0 prediction, but you were right. They did win today. And I did predict it. Anybody who looked at my predictions, I said 26, 24, I was going to be shocked. I said, I would be shocked if Iowa did not play a close game against Indiana and vice versa. And certainly, uh, Certainly, this was not a close game. Appreciate this, Frankenfingers. I think I know who you are, Frankenfingers. Appreciate the uh, the lovely emoji there. Richard, Indiana stayed home. Uh, I think so. That's true. I mean, you could argue that. Um, I would also argue, though, that uh, we saw the epitome of home field advantage in the Big Ten today. Um, this game was over. It, you could argue it was over in the first two minutes. I mean, I think two and a half minutes in, it was, what, 14 nothing. Um, and of course it kind of snowballs when you, when you have that, the crowd was unbelievable. Um, it wasn't a sellout, but a lot of Iowa fans showed up to this one, uh, and, uh, got the job done again, a very good, this is a very good Indiana team. I, I don't know how good they may not be top 25, but again, great skill position talent. I was impressed with Stephen Carr, even though the team struggled, I was impressed with Stephen Carr at running back. Penix obviously struggled. You hope he's okay. Saw him getting some treatment on the sideline late. Um, and then Ty Freifogel looked good when they could hook up with him. But again, Iowa secondary was all over this uh, Indiana uh, wide receiver crew and tight end crew. Wisconsin, West Virginia. So Purdue, I appreciate that update, Wisconsin sports fans. So Purdue did end up, or excuse me, not Purdue, um, Maryland did end up getting the job done against West Virginia. Purdue, of course, plays Oregon State tonight. Iowa, Iowa State will be interesting next week. And of course, we will talk about it next week. Or excuse me, we'll talk about it this week. We're going to talk about it with Don today. Uh, but there's no question. Uh, Iowa State, last I checked, we're going to check in. We'll get you a scoreboard update here on Iowa State in just a moment. Um, Iowa State's been struggling today against Northern Iowa. It's 13 to 10 right now. So that's that's the latest. It is 13 to 10. Um, Iowa State leading the Panthers. Not what I expected. This is a Panthers team that uh, always is competitive in the FCS. But again, if this is a Big 12 contending team and a national title contending team, I don't know that it is for, for Iowa State. But if it is, uh, certainly you cannot be struggling this early against a team like you and I out of the FCS. Field goal for Iowa State, so it's now 16-10 to 10 in the fourth quarter. Six minutes to go. It's over on ESPN Plus. So if you have dual screen, put us up on one, put over the put the Iowa State game up on the other. And uh, of course, huge implications for next week. Possibility of college game day. We can talk about that as well today. But uh, certainly an interesting day in college football. Again, Wisconsin goes down to Penn State. Iowa dominates Indiana. Some sort of interesting results across the college football landscape. Alabama, by the way, for you college football enthusiasts dominated Miami today and no surprise there going back to let's take a look back at the box score we kind of ran through the good from Iowa uh, and of course we'll get to the defensive box score here in a moment but I do want to look at uh, the receiving core for Iowa because again we're going to have to talk about this with Don um, I thought there were there were good moments for Spencer Petrus. There were poor moments for Spencer Petrus, and there were poor moments for Iowa's receivers. Charlie Jones goes down with an injury. That's a concern. Uh, Sam Laporta looked solid. Did have a drop, I think, in that first half that he would have liked to have had back. But several receivers had drops. Um, Sam Laporta ended up with five receptions for 83 yards. That's a really solid number. A typical Iowa tight end type stat line. 
Nico Regani ended up with two catches for 21 yards. Tracy, two catches for 15 yards. Charlie Jones, one catch for two yards. The wide receiver numbers have to be better. And I'm not putting that all on Spencer Petras, but those numbers have to be improved if Iowa's going to have a chance at winning this division. I just believe that. I, I think Iowa can have a solid year with a performance like this from Spencer Petras. I don't think they can be great. I don't think they're going to win this division unless he gives them better production down the field. Luke Lachey, the young tight end, he clearly is the second tight end on the depth chart right now. One catch for 15 yards. Tyler Goodson, a couple catches for nine yards as well. That's it as far as receivers. We didn't see Arlen Bruce. We didn't see Keegan Johnson. Um, we did not see – we saw a little bit of Jackson Ritter, which was a bit of a surprise to me, but Kirk Ferentz has said good things about Jackson. Um yeah, it's going to be an interesting. It's going to be an interesting week leading up to the Seahawks game. But again, Iowa State has some work to do. Let's get you an update from that game. I know we updated here a moment ago. Um, get you a score and time update. So now six minutes to go. Uh, you and I with the football again, sixteen to ten. After the Sally field goal for Iowa State, they have the ball at the twenty-five yard line. So you and I with 75 yards away from pulling off a monumental upset. Richard, if Iowa plays like they did today at Ames, it would be hard to stop Iowa's run game. Uh, I agree with that to a point. I don't know what to think about Indiana's run game, or excuse me, run stopping ability. I don't know about their defensive line. I think it's improved. Uh, if you talk to Jim Coyle, it's really improved, but Jim also was really high on about every position. So I don't know what to think uh, so far from Iowa's running game. Again, young offensive line. I do think it's going to be a solid group. It usually is, but it's, can it be as solid as last year? I don't know. We do have a call. Thank you for calling the voice of college football. This is Iowa postgame. Who's this? Hunter from Alabama. Hey, Hunter. How's it going? Good. How are you? Doing all right. How about them tied? Oh, it was a great game. Um, I thought there was a, a couple of different things that we could have done a little bit better. I think um, Bryce Young threw the ball a little high a few times in the game. Um, so I, I don't know if that's something that needs to be corrected or or if, or what the deal was with him throwing a little bit high. What did you think of the Iowa-Indiana game? I didn't get to catch that. I was, uh, I didn't catch that game. You called the Iowa post game to talk about Alabama, though. How did I know that? I thought y'all uh, – sorry about that. I thought You're good. That, uh, this was the, you thought you were calling Mark Rogers, didn't you? Yes, I did. That's all right. We are talking Iowa-Indiana, and I will admit I caught very little of the Alabama game, but they looked impressive uh, against a pretty solid Miami team, so I'll give you that. Okay. Well, my bad. I, I just mixed up. I thought that uh, I was calling Mark Rogers. So. You are right. It's the same line, but as of right now, we are taking calls here at Iowa postgame, and Mark is not. So, yeah, honest mistake. Okay. All right, man. We have a great rest of your day. All right, enjoy some football. Have a good day. All right, bye-bye. So we'll see how many times that happens here during our broadcast. We have an Alabama fan calling in. So I'm sure some Alabama fans are excited about their win 
But even that Alabama fan had some nitpicking to do about a blowout victory, so we shouldn't feel bad about nitpicking Spencer Petra's performance at all. Again, final score from Iowa City today, 34-6. to We will be joined by Don Patterson, former Iowa coach Don Patterson, will be joining us shortly. So uh, we'll get his thoughts on Spencer Petras. We'll get his thoughts on the defense. I thought Iowa played a very clean game from a penalty standpoint. That's important because remember last year early against Purdue game one, Iowa struggled with penalties. And that was a huge storyline going into the Northwestern game. A big concern I have is fumbling the football. I talked about this leading up to the season. One of Kirk's big things, and I think it's probably a a motto that he has every year. He said it again this year, uh, preseason, was that he would not be running his running backs, uh, taking too many hits, I should say. He would not let them take too many hits. And I understand he's protecting his ball carrier's health. But the problem is, you look back at last year, game one against Purdue, same issue. A couple fumbles from two very experienced running backs. And here you have the same thing. Now, thankfully today it didn't cost Iowa. But I'm concerned uh, given those two fumbles, one from Ivory Kelly Martin uh, and one from Tyler Goodson. So, that's a, that again, that's a concern. Other than that, Iowa protected the football well. They played a clean football game, and that should give Iowa fans reason for confidence heading into uh, the game against Iowa State. There are reasons for concern still. I'm not trying to downplay that. But again, 34 to 6. I don't know how we really turn that into a negative. Let's take a look at the defensive stats for Iowa. Again, the, the two pick sixes for Riley Moss. Certainly he has to be the player of the game. Two interceptions, return total of 85 yards. The second one, he just jumped. I mean, it was the first one I was off of the deflection. The second one, he read all the way. And a wonderful play for Riley, who has kind of turned into a ball hawk. You remember him last year against Michigan State with a pick six. You remember him with an interception uh, against Minnesota. And he's he, I know he had at least one or two interceptions the year before against Purdue. He is a guy who has a knack for getting to the football. Um, you know, Iowa tends to get ball hawks at cornerback, which is a, a really good thing because Iowa is one of the best teams in the country uh, for – uh, forcing turnovers, Desmond King, Josh Jackson, you can go down the line there, Tyler Sash, Brett Greenwood, those guys even back to the 09-10 season. Parker says offense has some cleaning up to do, but that's fine. Week one issues will clean themselves up. I hope you're right. I think you're right as far as the offensive line is concerned. I think as time goes on, you hope that a rotation is established here for Kirk Ferentz. I still don't want to downplay some of the concerns from quarterback because we did see some of the same uh, disappointing traits from from Spencer uh, at times. But here's what I'll say about Spencer. I thought Spencer Petras played under control the entire game. He didn't force a single pass, which I thought was very important given the fact that he struggled with that last year. And he does seem to have dialed it down. All right, He's not rocketing the ball at 100 miles an hour everywhere he goes now. And I think that's important. Well, it's obviously it's, it's clearly important, but I do I did notice that today he seems to have dialed it down a bit. Now, one thing that I don't know, again, I wasn't at the game. We are broadcasting from here, from the Hawkeye of the Storm here in Ames. I would love to get, I'll be anxious to get Don Patterson's opinion because Don right now is in route home so he can jump on us on with us here at the Iowa post game show at the Voice of College Football. But one thing I'd like to uh, get from him is his opinion of some of these dropbacks from Spencer. It seemed like 
some of the same uh, flaws in the Spencer Petrus game that we saw last year. At times last year, I remember Northwestern being a game where uh, Big Ten Network, I believe it was, gave us, or maybe it was ESPN, but gave us some views down the field on some of these balls where he threw the ball away, basically. And he was missing guys last year uh, deep. And he had several dropbacks today where if you're watching this game on TV, you don't know what's going on down the field. And you see Spencer get flushed out of the pocket. He took a sack or two, which isn't, I mean, that's not the worst thing there. I'd rather that than a fumble or an interception, but are there guys open down the field? I, again, I just, I just don't know. I have an answer to that. Don should have some insight given the fact that he has excellent, an excellent view from his season tickets seats at uh, Kinnick Stadium. Um, but you hope not. But at the same time, if they're not open, how much do you attribute that to just a really strong secondary for Indiana? And how much do you attribute that to a struggling wide receiving core? And the tight ends, of course. Although the tight ends, I thought Sam Laporta played well. Luke Lachey had, uh, I did see one play they showed replayed on the Big Ten Network where Luke Lachey was open in the first half and Spencer missed him. So again, um, Am I inspired by this from a quarterback perspective heading into week two? Absolutely not. I'm not inspired by this performance from Spencer at all. I'm not ready to push the panic button. I saw people at halftime bench the guy. It's like 31 to three at halftime. And you're calling for Spencer Petrus to be benched at halftime. I just, I'll never understand. I'll never understand fans. We had an Ohio State fan Thursday night calling for C.J. Stroud to be benched for Ohio State. Five-star quarterback in his first game on the road to Minnesota as it's raining. And he came back He came back and led the Buckeyes to a victory. And they were calling. It was a fan that called in as we hosted Mark Rogers' show for him on Thursday night, calling for him to be, or Friday night or whatever it was, calling for him to be benched. Ridiculous. All right. Now, this is your show. This is the caller show. This is the chat line show. So if you want to say he should be benched, by all means, tell me he should be benched. I disagree. There were times last that last year that I agreed with that. In fact, um, the Illinois game, prior to the Illinois game, I said, it's. I think it's time to try what we have in Alex Padilla. Alex Padilla got a few snaps today. They tried to throw the football with him, and he struggled. Had a play where he tripped over an offensive lineman's leg. Um, you know, it you got to trust the coaching. I know fans don't like hearing that. That's like the biggest no-no for a, a talk show host or anybody to tell a fan. you got to trust the coaches. But you do. I mean, these are the only guys. These coaches are the only ones seeing these players, besides the players themselves, during practice throughout the week. We get a small glimpse during kids' day, during any media availability, into what these guys are doing in the spring, summer, fall. you got to trust the coaches. Parker says Tyrone Tracy should have scored on that corner blitz play Ball way underthrown. I hope film study helps Spencer here. Absolutely. And I don't think Spencer needs film study to realize how bad that miss was. Um, that reminded me of 2018, uh, Nate Stanley overthrowing a wide open TJ Hawkinson deep down the field in Happy Valley, uh, a play where there was no one within 10 yards of TJ. And I could say the same thing about that play today with Tyrone Tracy. Um, no one was around. And you could see it, Tyrone Tracy's body language afterwards. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Body language, of course, you want to see good body language from your, your players. But he knew. It was a touchdown. And I'm sure, again, I don't remember if the Big Ten Network uh, zoomed in on Spencer there. But uh, that was not a good play. That was not good. You're listening to Iowa Post Game at the Voice of College Football. If you are enjoying the content here, I'm going to give you a, a, an old mantra from 
our good friends, Mark, our good friend, Mark Rogers. If you are enjoying the content and you want more people involved, please share this live feed. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, wherever you share, wherever you talk Hawkeye football with other fans, with your friends and family, share our link out now. Help us grow and support us. And uh, of course, we look forward to being able to host live post-game shows after every Iowa football game. And again, in just moments, we will have, in, in just minutes, I should say, we will have uh, live coverage with Don Patterson, former Iowa coach, Don Patterson. So again, our phone lines are open. Going to flash up a banner here for everybody. Anybody new to the live stream here? And again, you're welcome to chat, call uh, 860-499-3332. 860-499-3332. Call us for free and, and talk Hawkeye football. What were your thoughts on either Iowa or on Indiana? Watch this uh, banner up for everybody who is new to our show, Iowa coach, former Iowa coach Don Patterson will join our show soon to talk about Iowa's 34-6 to victory over the Indiana Hoosiers. And I am looking forward to talking with Don because, again, not only is, was he there, but Don provides so much uh, as far as analytical help for Kirk Ferentz. Uh, he is an absolute genius as it, as it relates to numbers and trends, and he does analytic help for uh, Kirk, he did a lot of analytics help for Bill Snyder at Kansas State. And of course, he was an offensive coordinator when Kirk was an assistant under Hayden Fry. Um, and what a what a loaded coaching staff that was when Don was the uh, offensive coordinator at Iowa and a position coach during other years. In fact, he was here the entire tenure, Hayden Fry, and was also a coach for a year with him at North Texas. So Don is going to come and provide us some excellent insight on the game today, what he saw from Spencer Petras. And uh, we look forward to it. Hawkeye Howard, Spencer is still young. He will learn and grow as the season goes on. I like the attitude um, to play devil's advocate to that Hawkeye Howard. Um, last year, we heard Kirk Ferentz repeat over and over again, Spencer hasn't had a spring. Spencer hasn't had a spring. He's had a, a abbreviated summer, abbreviated fall. That's no longer an excuse. I'm not saying it was an ex invalid excuse last year, but it was something we continue to hear from Kirk Ferentz. That's no longer an excuse. He's had a season under his belt. He had a normal spring. This was a normal spring practice and a normal summer and a normal fall. All right. Spencer's vaccinated. Uh, he's been, and again, I'm not taking a stance on the vaccine, but we know he's vaccinated because he's been um, out there advocating for the vaccine. So, you know, he probably didn't miss time because he was probably one of the first guys to get vaccinated on this team would be my guess. Again, I don't know that, but that'd just be my guess. So he's had a normal fall. He's had a normal summer. So I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not agreeing with any of the haters who say he needs to be benched, but I'm just saying as the season goes on, if we don't see improvement from Spencer, again, from a just a percentage standpoint, a completion percentage standpoint, fans are going to stay upset. And I think probably rightfully so, right? I mean, we're, this is this is year two with Spencer. Again, what we saw from Alex Padilla today at the end of the game wasn't particularly impressive. Not sure we can read too much into it. Again, small snapshot into what Alex Padilla, Deuce Hogan, those guys have been doing during the offseason. Of course, uh, 
Connor Kapasak, Joey Labas are also on the depth chart. We've not heard anything about them from the Iowa coaches. Let's take a look further at Iowa's defensive box score. We keep getting distracted here. Dane Belton, what a pick by Dane Belton. Um, I believe late second quarter, early second half. I don't have that written down. But Dane Belton with an absolute tremendous play um, where he basically, I mean, he looked like a receiver. I mean, great hands from Dane Belton, who let's remember, he's not a cornerback. You could say he's a hybrid type safety. He's kind of a hybrid linebacker safety mix. Um, he plays the cash position for Iowa, and he plays it darn well. And a tremendous pick. Iowa forced Penix into all kinds of problems. Taking a look at Penix numbers, 14 of 31 for 156 yards and an average uh, of just five yards per throw. Um, Spencer Petras' average wasn't much better, but three picks for Penix, zero for uh, Spencer Petras. Um, we mentioned Riley Moss, the two interceptions for him. I thought the special teams unit looked good. A little bit scared about the Charlie Jones injury. We'll have to wait and hear. I, I have not heard anything yet from Kirk Ferentz about his injury. He was not putting pressure on his knee. I'm not sure if it was the left or the right knee. If anybody knows, they can comment. But uh, that's a scary injury because he's a big part of this special teams crew. Um, and he's a big part of the receiving crew. I mean, he was out there almost, it seemed like almost every set for Iowa where they had three receivers on the field. Oftentimes when they had two receiver sets, Charlie Jones was the guy out there with Tyrone Tracy. And of course, late in the, late in the game, Nico Regani got some more action as well. And we saw again, Jackson Ritter, again, no Keegan Johnson, no Arlen Bruce. Um, you know, it's early. This was a big game early. So you're going to go with the guys you trust, but that is a concern. I'm going to pull up here if we see if we can get a more expansive box score here to work with. And again, our number is open. So if you want to call in and talk about today's win, 860-499-3332. And we will pull up our stat line here. Let's take a look at Indiana as well. I'm trying to grab the defensive numbers for Iowa players. Let's take a look at uh, Indiana's numbers. Stephen Carr, I thought he looked good, but he was still held in check. 19 carries, 57 yards. This defense is going, I'm just telling you right now, folks, this is going to be a very, very good defense. I know you can say Spencer or Penix struggled, and he did, but a lot of that had to do with Iowa's defensive performance. And again, Carr, 19 carries for just 57 yards. Fry Fogel. Did get five catches for 84 yards, but no touchdowns. I will take that stat line from him as an opponent every single time he's that good. DJ Matthews, the transfer from Florida State, struggled. He had a deflected pass, or you could call it a drop. He had slipped on an out route early in the game. That ended up being the, th the first pick six, which kind of started the snowball uh, for Indiana. He ended up with just two receptions for nine yards. Um, Peyton Hendershot, three catches for 26 yards. Miles Marshall, one reception for 21 yards. And in total, Iowa outgained Indiana 303 to 233 in total yards. Very close on passing yards. Neither quarterback played great, all right? But the difference was Petrus played uh, under control. 
and limited big mistakes. Rushing the football, Iowa, the major advantage. Again, I was not uber impressed with Iowa's rushing game. I thought it was solid. I did not think it was great. I thought it was solid, but it was much better than Indiana's. In fact, more than double as far as yardage. And if you talk to Don Patterson, if you win that category, you more than more than not, you win Big Ten football games. Iowa nearly doubled up Indiana in first downs, 18 to 10. Third downs was an area Iowa struggled, four of 12. That's something that Spencer Petrus will want to improve on. I think that's some that's an area that Brian Ferentz will need to improve on because I, I felt that Brian struggled a bit with play calling at times. All right, we saw him get cute early with a couple third down runs. Neither of them worked. Um, we saw a, a wildcat play, I believe, on third down that got blown up. And again, hindsight's twenty twenty. I get that, but I think Brian Ferentz has some room to improve as well. Yakov 22. Every time I turn on an Iowa game, I think the Steelers are playing a Saturday game. Yeah, they wear the same colors. That is true. Uh, and I guess if you're comparing the two teams from a football standpoint, that's a compliment. So appreciate the comment there. Hawkeye Howard, Hawkeye Jake, or excuse me, not Hawkeye Howard. That was Yakov 22. Hawkeye Jake says QB seven. That's Spencer Petrus looked better than last year. I agree. I agree. Still not sure how far he could take this change. That's a, that's a, that is a very reasonable response to what we saw today. That's a reasonable response. I, I like that from Hawkeye Jake. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it was great. It was better. Again, we pointed out the fact that Spencer Petrus, I thought, slowed down, um, took some took some heat off the fastball, so to speak, and limited mistakes. Those are two huge areas for Iowa's passing game, right? Interceptions. And uh, incompletions as a result of just putting way too much juice behind the football. And Spencer Petrus improved on that today. All right. He improved on that today. If I could pronounce your name, I would. Mohicans, good to have you on here this evening. Again, we are talking Iowa's 34 to 6 victory over the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, let's talk about injuries here briefly. Um, I'm not accessing the full box score just yet. So as I do this, hopefully we can get this by the time Don gets on so we can kind of break it down a bit more. But let's talk about the injuries. First of all, the, the big one early that everybody was concerned with was uh, the injury to Tyler Linderbaum. We saw the nice QB draw. That was an impressive run by Spencer Preachus early. Um, and ended up going for a touchdown. He got banged up on the play. Tyler Linderbaum got banged up on the play. And if you watch that play back, Tyler Linderbaum got, he got kicked in the helmet by Spencer Petrus. And he also, the sideline reporter for BTN also noted that he heard Tyler Linderbaum say that he had gotten hit in, I believe, the leg. Okay, so I don't think it's a, it doesn't sound like it's an, a, a ligament issue or a internal issue. Um, so you hope Linderbaum is okay. He came back and played. So I, I don't think you play your All-American center when you're up three scores unless you're confident he's okay. So that was a good sign. Spencer Petrus hobbled off the field, uh, came back in. I did think that, and we can get other people's opinions, um, I did think that uh, Spencer Petrus was hobbling a bit as the game wore on. But he stayed out there. So either that's a result of it wasn't serious. I, I'm taking it it wasn't because I don't think Iowa would have put them at put him at risk in any way. Um, but, or B, I don't 
know how much confidence Kirk Ferentz has in Alex Padilla and Deuce Hogan right now. Obviously not nearly as much as he has in Spencer Petras. But again, hope, hopefully that was just a bang-bang play, um, maybe a, a bone bruise, which of course those can be nagging. Um, but he did come back in, and I thought he played okay. Didn't look as mobile, although he's not ever real mobile, but he looked pretty mobile on the draw play. Frankenfingers, where's Don? Don is en route back to his home. So he was at the game today, and as soon as he gets home, he's going to hop on with us. So uh, he is, uh, Don Patterson is one of the best in the business as far as breaking down Iowa football. And as biased as he will admit he is, he takes a very, very unbiased approach, I feel, uh, as, as far as his analysis is concerned here um, at uh, Iowa the Wissett College Football. So we look forward to that. Yakov 22, I'm an Ohio State funnel, a fan excuse me, and alum. In my opinion, Iowa is the best team in the West and should win 10 games. Well, if you look at every team in the West so far, we've seen everybody but Purdue, right? We've seen Illinois, we've seen Nebraska, we've seen Northwestern, we've seen Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa. Yeah, I mean, right now, I don't know how you argue with that. Now, we don't know how good Penn State is, okay? Wisconsin played them close. And let's remember, this is early. This is week one of college football. And again, the old mantra is that you improve, you, you make the most improvement from week one to week two. So if that's the case... I would expect uh, a big jump for Iowa next week. And, boy, they need it because it's Iowa State. Let's give you an update on that Iowa State game, by the way. I kind of zoned out here talking about Iowa, and I missed that final drive, so I apologize for that. This is an ESPN Plus game for all you ESPN Plus subscribers. Uh, and Iowa State did close it out against you and I. All right? And uh, Hawkeye Howard confirms this for us. They did win today. So final score is 16 to 10. And the last the last drive of the game, you and I got to the 42-yard line. And uh, that's way too close for comfort if you're an Iowa State fan. So I'll be anxious to see some of the highlights from that game. Iowa State defeating you and I. 16 to 10 again 16 to 10 from pop this up here for everybody maybe we can get some comments on this as well um that is not what i expected all right um i fully expected a dominant performance today from iowa state so there's concerns probably from both sides uh charlie kolar did not play today i did hear that for iowa state dealing with a lower body injury, I believe is what the Des Moines Register reported on that. So, um, you know, that could be a concern. Will he be healthy? He's an All-American tight, tight end for Iowa State. So uh, certainly a concern there for the Cyclones. But we are concerned with Iowa, Indiana, and Iowa with a very impressive performance, 34-6 to six, uh, over the Hoosiers. Again, if you want to call us, call us now. Um, and then, of course, you can call when Don Patterson is on here in a few minutes. He will jump on as soon as he gets home. Uh, but uh, when you call in, we're going to try to, to keep this to questions and comments for Don. And then, uh, if again, if you have something else to add, you can add that. But uh, then we'll, we'll kind of let Don, uh, I don't want to say lead the show, but uh, we really do value his opinion. So we want to hear from Don Patterson as much as we can 
But again, call us now if you'd like and give us your thoughts about Spencer Petras, about the Cyhawk game next week, and certainly about Iowa's dominant victory over the Hoosiers. 860-499-3332, 860-499-3332. You can see the number there at the bottom of your screen. The crowd was impressive today, Yakov. It was a, a very impressive crowd. Um, I thought early on the crowd was as loud as I've heard it. Again, I, I'm sitting at home watching this game on the big screen. I thought it was as impressive a crowd as I can remember. Um, the commentators kind of alluded to the fact that there was some, possibly some pent up energy from a crowd that has been waiting to get back into Kinnick Stadium for the last two years. Certainly would agree with that. Seems so. And then when you have a big 60 yard run from Tyler Goodson on the first drive of the game, that helps keep the crowd going. And then you have a pick six and then you have another pick six. This crowd was involved today and I give them a lot of credit. And I, I commented that we had a group here watching the game. I commented early on. I said, this to me is the epitome of a home field advantage because I think at times home field is way overrated in college football, college basketball, certainly at the pro level. But this is where the advantage comes in. You have a quarterback, you have an offense that gets, especially a quarterback, running the offense, that gets rattled early in Michael Penix. And it kind of snowballs. And we saw that today. Um, and so I give credit to the Iowa fans. It was not a sellout. It was close. It appeared to be at least uh, there were some open seats, but very few. Um, so I give tons of credit to the Iowa fans for showing up. And the Iowa students really packed the house. You hope all of them um, that there is no spread of the, the of the uh, virus from this. Again, they're outside, but uh, those are decisions everybody has to make. But again, overall, you you can't complain about much today. It was a beautiful day in Iowa City. There was a chance of rain earlier in the week. The rain sort of stayed away, and we got a beautiful football game uh, on a beautiful afternoon. We had the opportunity to do some tailgating here at our home. Uh, outside and it was the sun came out right before the game started and so a, a beautiful day and this sets up now the possibility of college game day in Iowa City or excuse me in, in Ames next week um, you know you've got a, a situation now where even though Iowa State struggled I don't see them falling down in the rankings and you want to say rankings don't matter they matter when you're looking at college game day all right you're not going to get you know college game day in Iowa City for Iowa and Kent State the, one, the, the opportunities for Iowa College Game Day, if you're a big ESPN College Game Day fan, and I like it, I think it's good for the, the program, I think it's good, I think it's good exposure. But if you're, you're all about College Game Day, you obviously need two teams, for the most part, who are highly ranked, and rivalries always help. We saw a great turnout two years ago in Ames. Um, and so, you know, we'll see. I, I think there's a strong possibility, my understanding, um, is that we'll that we'll likely know about this tomorrow um, typically the announcement is made at least on sunday although the week one of the college season of the college football season this week actually uh stretches into monday there's a game monday i believe it's but that might be the notre dame game uh, there's, there's a game to, there's a game sunday and there's a game monday i don't have that in front of me at the moment um but uh, again what we should know about that soon and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. It's still going to be a great atmosphere in Ames. Um, so, and I just got a text from Don Patterson. And he is 
home now and he's collecting his thoughts, scanning the stats, and he will join us. So we look forward to Don Patterson joining us in moments from now. Hawkeye Howard says, to me, Indiana, I saw Indiana had a hard time calling plays because of the fans. I agree with that. There is a, a bit of an overrated factor at times with fans when they're loud because I think it sometimes hurts the defense. But I think more often than not, you see the opposite effect because of quarterbacks and, and uh, just I think offensive players in general getting rattled when you're on the road and you're facing a hostile crowd that way. I'm a bit surprised that uh, Kirk Ferentz always elects to receive. That's kind of been a thing he's always done. I've never really heard his reasoning on why he always, typically always uh, elects to receive the football first. Because I would think at times your crowd could get behind you more if you're playing defensively. But when you have a 70 or a 60-yard run from Tyler Goodson for a touchdown, I understand. Yakov 22. Indiana had 233 yards of offense. I'm older than you, and that sounds like yards total from the 1980s. The defense is good. All right. Any Iowa fan who watched the game today, if I'm sorry, I'm not a, I'm not uh, somebody who tries to push my, uh, my uh, take on matters onto other people, but the the defense is very, very good. Okay. The secondary is elite. Okay. Now you can say I'm being hyperbolic. I said it earlier. You want to look back at our videos here at from the Hawkeye of the storm and uh, the voice of college football. I said it before. I thought this defense would be elite. Um, and I thought that the defense, I, I didn't really say defense. Let me rephrase it. I said the secondary would be the strength of this team. I don't think that was an outlandish thought. I had some people say, ah, that's a struggle or that's a concern. I, I never saw it. You've got Riley Moss on the outside, who's a multi-year starter, and Matt Hankins, who's a fifth-year guy. And then you've got safeties and Jack Kerner, Kayvon Merriweather. You've got Dane Belton playing cash. You've got... I've heard good things about, again, we haven't seen him as much, but good things about Terry Roberts in the secondary. Jamari Harris, heard good things about him. Sebastian Castro, they've got guys. And right now, if they can stay healthy, this is a team that can not only contend for the West, but this is a team that can win a lot of football games. I, I don't know if you're going to beat Iowa State. I'm not making any predictions about Iowa State right now. Of course, I made some preseason predictions. If you watched my preseason predictions, I did say that I believed Iowa would lose to Iowa State Week 2. All right. So don't kill me for that. Uh, I did say that Iowa would lose week two. Um, I could change that now that we've seen uh, sort of an interesting couple of games from the two Iowa teams today with Iowa State. Um, again, if you didn't catch that, Iowa State survives a scare from you and I today, 16 to 10. And of course, we've seen Iowa State struggle with you and I in the past, um, but you don't expect that when you're number seven in the country. The real Hayden. Just leaving Iowa City now, tell Jim Coyle he's an idiot. We were more talented everywhere, including quarterback. I Listen, I, I, I know that some Iowa fans, Jim Coyle kind of got under their skin during our uh, pre-game conversation earlier in the week. I like Jim. I think Jim's a big homer, as am I. I try to maintain a bit of a, an unbiased mindset. Um, I do think Iowa's more talented. 
Uh, I thought they were close. If you remember my predictions going into this game, I said these teams were right neck and neck in almost every category. I thought Indiana had overall better skill position talent, but Iowa was better in the trenches, and I think you'd give Iowa the, the uh, edge on special teams, although Indiana's kicker was perfect today and has been excellent in the Big Ten during his career. Um, but I think overall you look at this and, yeah, you've got to give Iowa the edge in talent based on what we saw today, right? Um, and Shudak looked good when he did kick. I believe he had, what, two field goals? Um, really should have had like four or five. He was iced three times in a row from uh, Tom Allen at the end of the first uh, half. And uh, uh, some family that uh, we were watching the game with was sort of uh, agitated by that move by Tom Allen. I have no problem with the opposing coach calling three timeouts. If you recall, as an Iowa fan, last season, Kirk Ferentz did that at the end of the Minnesota game, and Iowa fans loved it, right? They were calling it, you know, Kirk Ferentz 3.0. I I know it was different circumstances. Kirk was agitated, I think, by P.J. Fleck and some of the shenanigans that Yahoo was pulling off, uh, trying to pull off against an Iowa team that was basically dominating the Gophers. And so Kirk Ferentz used three timeouts late in the game, and we we all loved it. So I, I'm not going to get mad about, uh, you know, Tom Allen using three timeouts to legitimately try to ice Caleb Shudak. And Shudak hadn't kicked – he hadn't kicked a field goal this year. He had kicked before. Of course, this is his first year as a full-time starter at place kicker. Um, but he had not kicked in the past in an actual game as a starter. So I have no problem with the move by Tom Allen, but give credit to Caleb Shudak. Played under control kicked under control, and uh, again, was perfect on the day. Two of two from field goal range. So uh, again, lots to untangle here. We're going to, I've got a list of things that I don't want to unpack until we get, <coughs> excuse me, Jim, uh, or excuse me, Don Patterson. We're not going to have Jim Coyle on again. We're going to have Don Patterson on, and that'll make Hawkeye fans happier. To talk about Iowa's 34-6 to six victory over the Indiana Hoosiers, and, uh, of course, that uh, brings us to some, some interesting questions heading into next week, uh, including the availability of Charlie Jones, the availability of Charlie Kolar for Iowa State. Um, you know, you, you wonder about uh, the availability of, I don't want to say, Spen I shouldn't say availability, but the health of Spencer Petrus. I don't worry too much about Tyler Linderbaum. I really don't think he would have continued to play had he had anything serious but I did see Spencer Peters hobbling a lot in this game. And maybe, maybe it's just a hitch in his giddy up, so to speak. I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I never noticed that last season. He just seemed to gimp around. And if anybody else has any comments on that, feel free to share them. Again, our phone lines are open. Uh, we got a call earlier from an Alabama fan who wanted to talk to, talk to Mark Rogers. And I don't blame him. I like Mark Rogers. Mark Rogers is a great guy. He knows college football. And uh, listen, I don't like Alabama. But I have respect for Alabama, uh, respect for Alabama fans. I, I don't, I respect Alabama, but uh, he called us thinking he was talking to Mark Rogers. Hawkeye Howard says it's blasphemy that I picked uh, Iowa State in Ames. I try to maintain a level of decency and reality and unbiased. And Iowa State, my guess Listen, the line is going to move because Vegas is going to see, the betters are going to see what we have here in Iowa's 34-6 to victory over Indiana. 
They're going to see Iowa State struggles against UNI, and that line is going to close a bit. Okay, not saying it'll be even. It shouldn't be. Um, it's week one. All right, we can't read too much into this, but both teams won. Iowa State's favorite in this game. I'm not. Again, I've got to analyze this more. Uh, I'll probably be a bit influenced by the words of Don Patterson today, but I think Don will be honest with us. And uh, I, I foresee a good game next week. All right, I, I I have a hard time envisioning a scenario where Iowa State dominates Iowa next week. Okay, um, I really never envisioned a scenario where Iowa State would dominate Iowa. But when you looked at what Iowa State has coming back, Charlie Kolar, you've got Mike Rose, you've got Brock Purdy, you've got Brees Hall. You know, I think I said Kolar already. They've got guys everywhere. They had so many guys exercise that last year uh, of eligibility due to COVID last year. So I would not have been surprised at at least a week ago before this game when I made my predictions had Iowa State comfortably won. I'm not saying by 30 points, but I'm saying had they won by 10, I would not have been shocked. That doesn't mean I'm a hater on Iowa. I'm as big of an Iowa guy as, as, as anybody, but just trying to be realistic, and it's also going to be a raucous environment in Ames, okay? And I'll just say this right now, bring it on. I have no problem with that. Raucous environment is great, um, and uh, we have got, uh, we're going to mute ourselves for a moment. I've got Don Patterson calling me at the moment, so we will be right back. Don Patterson is having a few technical issues at the moment. We are trying to get him on. He's having some issues on his end connecting. If you couldn't hear me, let's try it again. Don Patterson having some issues with uh, his uh, uh, internet at the moment. We are trying to get his issue resolved. So uh, again, hang on here just a moment because we are trying to get Don Patterson on. And uh, this is how it goes working with technology. You have uh, issues at times. So we will be right back, work through Don on this, and we will be here to talk Iowa over Indiana. Again, bring your thoughts, bring your comments. We'll talk about college football and Iowa's victory over Indiana here in just a moment. We have Coach Don Patterson with us. Don, I'm glad we figured out those technical issues. Can you hear us? Uh, Barely. I need to crank up the volume somehow here. That's my problem, isn't it? That's okay. I can hear you. We can hear you if you can hear us. Yes, I hear you. So Iowa with the uh, 34-6 to victory over Indiana uh, today. And, Don, we've been talking for about the last 45 minutes or so about this win. Uh, And obviously you were there. I've got a line of questions I want to get to you on. But first of all, Let's kind of get your overreaching. I've got a box score the university just sent out. I want to access that here. So I'll give you a moment to kind of tell our listeners what you took away from today's victory. Well, it's nice to have a routine win when it's not supposed to be that way. I I was certainly predicting a one-score game. The only reason it might turn out otherwise is if you have a, oh, I don't know, maybe a couple of touchdowns on defense. That might change the dynamics a little bit. So it was a a well-played game for sure on the part of the defense. Uh, offense is still a concern, um, but uh, but the bottom line is Indiana's a solid football team, and they were a pretty good test for us, and 
You'd have to say all things considered, we passed the test. Would agree with that. And one big concern that I know fans are, are having, and I still have it, is obviously the quarterback position. We've talked about that position at length. We talked about it during our pregame coverage. Um, Spencer, I thought, was okay. Uh, he didn't make any mistakes that, that uh, were egregious, certainly none to the level of Michael Penix. Uh, but here's one fallacy of watching a game on television. I'm sure you can relate to this in a, in a very, very severe level as far as it relates to you as a coach. But we can't see down the field on t television. So right. we're watching Spencer take these drops, and I see him over and over again get flushed out of the pocket and end up throwing the ball away. Now, that doesn't count as an uh, interception, obviously, because it's not. But it does count as an incompletion, and you look at his percentage, his completion percentage, well under 50% for much of the game. I think he got it close to 50%. You may have that in front of you, Don. Uh, um, here just a second. I believe we were something like 13 for 28, maybe. Yeah, so that's not good. I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat this. That's not good. So what did you see from your vantage point at the Iowa game today as far as what he had on the field? Were their receivers open consistently? Was Spencer missing them? Or was it just a really good effort from the IU secondary? I'm on the wrong season here. Um, I think receiver selection still needs some work. Uh, there were times, you know, when he, when he, probably when he sees the video, he'll wonder why he progressed the way he did on a certain play here and there. Um, his ball accuracy wasn't always on target. There were a few times he, you know, he has some difficulty throwing on the run, especially if he's running to his left. You know, he's right-handed. That's a little bit more difficult. Uh, I'd like to see him, when he does flush, go ahead and attack the line of scrimmage to the point where, I'll say it this way, it's okay not to throw the ball away. It's okay to pull it down and run for three or five. Doesn't even mean you have to get hit. So often when he flushes, of course, when he finally lets go of the ball, he's near the boundary anyway. So there are some opportunities to make a few positive yards um, without throwing the ball away. I think that'll show up when, when they study the video too. Uh, I, I think he did a good job of getting us in and out of the huddle and getting lined up. And, you know, we were never much of a threat to suffer a delay or anything like that. So those mechanics are all just fine. Uh, Indiana struggled with that certainly more than we did. You know, they had some difficulties with the crowd noise, and now they have an appreciation for what it's like to play in Kinnick. It's not as easy as people think. They think it's only 70,000, so how loud could it be? Well, it's not very different than 100,000 somewhere else, as you know. So um, I'm concerned that we didn't run the ball better. We outrushed them. That was important. You know, that's one of the keys to winning the game was to outrush Indiana. We did that. But let's face it. 50 or 60 yards came on one play. Right. So beyond that, we did not have good consistency in terms of consistently making four yards. We didn't have that kind of consistency. Um, thankfully for us, Indiana struggled even more. You know, we certainly outrushed them by a fair amount. Their longest game was not much at all. I think maybe they had two super explosive plays, I believe, 30 yards or more. A couple of times they got loose on us. But let's face it, my gosh, they hardly had over 200 yards offense. That's good defense. Uh, and, of yeah. course, we kept them out of the end zone, too. So that's that's a, a lot of reason to celebrate on defense. Got a comment here for you, Don. Event Tide says, we need to get the ball to the wide receivers more often. We do have a talented wide receiver group, future recruiting 
of top of top wide receivers will probably suffer if we don't use such weapons. I don't know that it's a matter of, and I'm not saying Event Tide is alluding that it or inferring that it's a matter of play calling, but at times you've got to wonder, uh, again, as a fan, how much is Spencer just missing? I mean, because there were plenty of pass plays called in this game, Don. And yeah. uh, I thought it was a I thought it was a well balanced called game. There were a few calls from Brian that I probably would have nitpicked at. I thought a few of the third down and medium calls were a bit iffy. There were some run plays that I probably wouldn't have called. But I'm no play caller myself, Don. I remember fairly early third and seven, we ran the ball, and I didn't I didn't yeah. understand that because we weren't likely to make seven. But um, yeah, and we didn't make any of them that we ran on those third downs. Yeah. Um, so that was you know. But I thought Brian played an okay, or excuse me, called an okay game today. One thing I, I found myself thinking as the game played out, it didn't seem like we made any kind of uh, concerted effort to get the ball to number three. He didn't have many touches. He is one of our more electric players. Um, I like Charlie Jones and, and I like Reganey. Those are good receivers too. But let's face it, uh, Tyrone Tracy's capable of giving us a lot more than he did today. And it wasn't certainly all his fault. The ball didn't come his way very much at all. Don, a, a couple notes that I made, and of course, one of them relates to that comment about Tyrone Tracy. The underthrown pass to Tracy in the second half. Okay, that's going to be a pass play that I look back at and will stay frustrated with because it reminded me almost of Nate Stanley overthrowing TJ Hawkinson back in 2018 in Happy Valley. There was yeah. no one within 10 yards of TJ, and he just threw it probably five, 10 yards past TJ. And this one was, again, in the NFL, Tyrone could have gotten back up and ran. But in college, you're down, you're down. There was no one around him. And I'm sure you could see that from your seat at the stadium. Yeah, How bad was that underthrow? But it looked like they simply didn't see it. Yeah. Is that what happened? There was nobody... There was no defender out there with his width. There was no one covering him. You're right. Uh, I mean, it was it and almost jogged in. So, you know, I don't know that you need film to see that if you're Spencer. Um, how do you address that if you're Brian Ferentz and Ken O'Keefe? Well, one thing I used to teach, uh, and I had the advantage of using an, an example. Uh, you know, I flew helicopters when I was in the Army, and I always talked to the quarterbacks about having a consistent scan. If you're flying a helicopter or an airplane, you have to consi consistently scan all of the instruments that are in the plane or in the helicopter. And, and you're looking outside the aircraft too, but you better pay close attention to all those instruments. And there's a logical way to scan those instruments. And I use that as an example to the quarterbacks. I want you to do the same thing as a quarterback. I want you to consistently scan the field. And I don't care which way you do it. You can start left, Scan to the right. I'm talking about from one perimeter to the other. Scan to the right and then finish back over the ball. Or you can start right, go left, and finish back over the ball. It doesn't matter. You just need to have that routine so that you're scanning the field all the time. And and it's important because it gives you a better chance to see that, that short side corner that lit him up one time. You remember the, the lightning stuff in the corner? You can see that sort of stuff. And you're doing it every play so they can't say he's always going to look where he's going to throw. You know, you're looking at the entire width of the field on every snap. Uh, it needs to be just part of your routine. It's just ingrained. You do it without even thinking about it after a while. And and um, maybe he saw 
um, number three out there uncovered. But if he did, the simple thing to do is just raise up and throw him the ball. And we threw it a little bit later and a little more down the field. And obviously, maybe if we'd thrown it to him as he lined up, maybe he wouldn't have scored. I don't know. It would have been a mad race to the goal line, I think. He might have scored. I'm not sure exactly where the nearest defender was. But uh, it's, that's, that's an un, unfortunate miss. You know, that's one that should have been, should have been a touchdown and was not. Uh, and I don't want to jump all over the place, but uh, Charlie Jones was seen, at least shown on the TV monitors, uh, limping to the locker room, not putting very much pressure. I don't know if it was the left or the right knee, Don. Maybe you saw it. But uh, that did not look good. And I have not heard yet from Kirk Ferentz uh, in his post-game press or anything about that, and he likely will not know. But what were your thoughts on the injury to Charlie? Well, first off, I like Charlie a lot. You know, as a receiver, I like him as a kick returner, punt returner. He's obviously proven um, in the specialty team part of the game that he's a valuable player. But I think he can make a solid contribution as a receiver too. And he proved some of that today. Uh, I don't know the extent of his injury. We had several guys that were dinged up a little bit. And, um, of course, one of them was number seven uh, on the touchdown run on the Q draw. Um, you know, I said the other day, I didn't expect Phoenix to run the ball a lot because I don't think they want to uh, subject him to any more hard hits than necessary. And sure enough, I don't think there was a single call play with Phoenix carrying the ball. Uh, honestly, I don't know if he ever broke the line of scrimmage. I was a little surprised that he didn't press the line of scrimmage harder now, sometimes yep. on a on a naked or on a bootleg play he he had a viable target and he threw the ball to the target but in general i thought i thought we would see him some of the time pull the ball down and simply scramble for positive yardage it didn't happen he didn't seem very interested in running maybe he had told he'd been told not to take those hits to try to get the ball to someone else across the line of scrimmage and uh, he had some success doing that but but not a lot you know we did a good job of of staying in coverage, and we didn't give up a lot of plays just because he had bought a lot of time in the pocket. You didn't see that. Um, but the same He's part, very, sta very stationary. Um, yeah, I, I he felt he was even more stationary than Spencer, honestly. Yeah, you know, it appeared that he, he's not very comfortable yet coming off that knee surgery, I guess. Yeah. Uh, whatever the case, you didn't see that. You didn't see that runner that Pro Football Focus talked about. They talked about his escapability. You didn't see that today. Uh, and part of that is we did a good job of staying at home. He didn't have just some really, really obvious running lanes where he could pull the ball down and run for – there wasn't all kinds of green grass in front of him. There was some from time to time, but it looked like he had the same mindset that Spencer did. I, if at all possible, I want to throw the ball. So I'm looking to throw. I'm not looking to run. Uh, comment here from Ryan Brock. Justin Jacobs looked great in coverage. I would agree. I think that linebacker – unit right now is as strong as it's been since probably the jewel uh, bo bauer uh, ben neiman years or year i should say when they were at their strongest i believe that was 2017. um and now with seth benson jack campbell and justin if they stay healthy tremendous unit and anchoring what is a very good and i know i'm 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 Trying not to be hyperbolic here since we're just coming off this win, but Don, this secondary looks elite right now, at least from my perspective. I think we're solid in the back end. My biggest concern defensively would still be our front four. You know, there's some teams maybe that can muscle us better than Indiana did. Indiana didn't have great success 
Uh, and of course, they had a big offensive line like most Big Ten teams. Um, I thought we did a good job of holding up with our front four. Uh, I think I don't know how many guys we played. I think we played at least six, maybe seven. Uh, but I agree with you. I think our stronger unit is linebacker core. What number is uh, Jacobs? Justin Jacobs? Five. That's what I thought. Because I know late, later in the game, I saw number five, and I, and I wasn't familiar with that number. And he kept showing up, so that's a good yeah. sign. Uh, he looked he looked very much like he belonged on the field. Um, and, of course, uh, 33 had a super game. Uh, word to the wise, if I was playing against him, even in this game, after that first pick, I would have for sure double-cut him. I would have for sure shown an out route or a stop route or maybe a slant route and then broken down the field with the, and with the pump fake, of course, on the part of the quarterback. Indiana didn't do that, uh, you know. Uh, he does a good job of jumping, jumping the, the throw. He does a good job of reading the quarterback's eyes. Uh, but there are um, smart play callers that will, um, that will try to put him in position where they use his aggressiveness against him. So that's where the double cuts come in. We used to have, just to give you an idea of how sophisticated some offenses are, I don't know that too many are this way, we used to have a call to take care of that, and I think the listeners might find it interesting. The huddle call might be, if you got a really aggressive corner, the huddle call might be pro right bait, 71 out and go. Bait simply means we're actually we're alerting our offense. We're going to call a dummy audible. We're going to call the dummy audible that would indicate we're throwing an out route, except it's not an out. We used a bait call. We're setting him up. He's going to jump the out route. We're going to beat him deep. Now, I don't think too many teams have that in their, in their scheme, but whether they have that particular component in their scheme, uh, and, and that's a huddle call that we might make in a game, uh, I would expect, if nothing else, maybe without the bait call, maybe there's no apparent audible call, but at the very least, the huddle call would be, a simple call would be pro right, 71 out and go. Now we're showing the out route. We want him to jump the out route. We're going to beat him down the field. And the quarterback's got to do a good job with a good hard pump fake. Of course, a good hard pump fake, you're still catching the ball with your lead hand and quickly resetting so you can get the ball off before help arrives on the on that perimeter throw. So if I were number 33, I would expect that Iowa State's going to try to double cut him. Then they may simply just try to run by him because maybe they feel he's he's really not honoring that receiver with enough proper cushion. Did Indiana ever try to really get on top of, of Riley? I don't know that they did. I can't remember for sure that they simply ran a go route no. down the field against him and threw it up. And he, of course you'd think that'd be part of their game because Freifogel's tall. And a few of those other guys have good height. It didn't appear they wanted to uh, involve their receivers in a lot of jumping contests, although that is part of their offense. They do throw the ball up. They don't mind in the past. I've seen them not mind throwing what we call 50-50 balls. They throw it up. They don't know for sure that their guy's going to get it, but they, they like their chances simply because maybe he's an inch or two taller. Uh, maybe he can high point the ball a little bit better than the DB they happen to be working against at that moment. Um, but the bottom line is we didn't get tested down the field. Uh, I do think all of our receivers did a good job of holding coverage. And then once the ball was thrown, did a good job of attacking uh, back toward the flight of the ball. In other words, there were a few Indiana receivers that maybe faded from the ball a little bit downfield. They, they found themselves maybe fading from the ball. When I say fading, they're actually working away from the throw. Uh, you know, they're not really reacting back toward the ball. So we always talk to our receivers about squeezing to the ball, squeeze to the ball. That doesn't mean that you're running like a madman back toward the, 
toward the quarterback. It just means you're working back toward the ball to keep that defender on your backside. You know, you don't want him being able to fly through your shoulder and get in position to make a play. And you saw that several times today. Our guys did a good job of attacking the ball. I'm not surprised. They're a well-coached secondary. And they have, they have a good bit of experience. They know how to play. So um, they held up very well today. Uh, hats off to the, to the back end. Hats off to the linebackers in particular. And I want to give the D-line credit for, for being solid, too. He didn't see a lot of running room for the Indiana running backs. And that's to the credit of the front four as well. I thought early on it seemed like the Iowa defensive line did get some consistent pressure on Penix. We saw Noah Shannon make a couple plays, big number 99 early. Um, as the game wore on, it seemed like they were able to get into the backfield less and less. Um, at least that was my my perspective. And they've got a lot of young guys on that line. I thought Lucas Van Ness played well when he was in there. Um, I'm trying to think of his number for you, but uh, he, he did play well. I thought Noah Shannon played well. Um, any other standouts defensively along that line as, as far as somebody? Obviously, Ben Valkenberg looked good, too. Yeah, I like 97. He's a good player. And, uh, uh, and I like 13 in relief. Joe Evans, uh, yeah. you know, he comes in on long yardage, and, and uh, he's, he's got a, a quickness element to him that those tackles uh, a lot of the time will struggle with. So that's just a good job of using your personnel. You know, maybe Joe Evans never shows up hardly other than uh, very likely passing downs, third and medium, third and long. Uh, but, but, of course, it gives some relief to that, that, that player that's out there ahead of him. And, and um, hopefully as the season plays out, we'll, we'll improve that depth a little bit from one week to the next by getting them a little more playing time all the time. There at the end, of course, we had virtually all subs in on defense, and we got – they got their feet wet today a little bit. I think in general they were maybe going against a few twos for Indiana. Uh, but number five was still in there running a lot of the time, even late. And, of course, they pulled their quarterback at some point. Uh, that's one disappointment I had. I wish I wish that our backup would have gotten in on the previous series. I think yeah. we had th three snaps today. That's, uh, I was ready. Of course, Spencer's he was hopping around a little bit uh, as a result of that quarterback draw. And I thought, wouldn't it be tragic if we got a few of these starters injured here when the score's 31 or 34 to 6? Um, and um, number 65, might have, did, did he ever come out? Did our, our All-American center ever yeah, come out? Yeah, he did. Matt Fagan, Matt Fagan, his backup, did come in at the end. Just those last three right. plays probably, I bet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So guys like that, I wish we could get them out of the game maybe one series earlier. I know I'm. maybe you say it's a, a moot point, but – but late in the game, they're tired anyway, and they're a little more likely to get injured when they get tired. Um, of course, they want to they want to take all the snaps because they're competitive players. But let's face it, our backups need need reps. They haven't in some cases they've hardly played at all. Uh, and a good example of that, of course, is Padilla. Padilla's hardly been on the field, and um, there's an opportunity to get him in on that previous set of downs. I wish we'd done that, uh, but that's not my call, of course. And and uh, maybe we'll have some opportunities up ahead, not so much next weekend maybe, but with those non-conference games that are coming up here in September. do want to throw up a comment here from Ryan Brock. Fantastic setting the edge on the stretch. I would agree that first, first run by Tyler Goodson, and I'm sure it was electric in that stadium, Don, <laughs> that first run and, of course, the pick six. But that, that run, it was a tremendous blocking, I thought, by – 
I believe it was Nick DeYoung playing right tackle and Luke Lachey, the second tight end. Yeah, that was a, that was what we call a soft corner. You know, we got we got turned and there was no confusion about where Tyler should run. You know, we outflanked him and and um, their pursuit was not in very good position either. One of the things Bill Brazier always taught, he did a great job of this, and I know I have no doubt that Phil Parker does the same thing. Uh, Bill used to spend a lot of time being sure that all DBs understand the position they need on the football. And the reason I bring it up that way, somebody always at all times should have outside leverage on the ball. Or if they don't, if they no longer have outside leverage, it's simply because the ball is on the boundary. Uh, but in general, if you're, if you're the defender that's supposed to have the, to maintain that outside leverage, your job is to be sure that that ball carrier has to turn back inside. And then there, of course, there are other DBs that fit over to the inside with inside leverage and then fit over the top of the play too. So if you can imagine good pursuit on the part of the DBs, you've got three DBs that basically surround the ball. You've got one with outside leverage, one with inside leverage, and then one that's fitting over the top. And I guys so, do a good job of that. That's why you see very few long runs. And, and this was my big, and this was, this kind of came out from Kirk Ferentz during his weekly press conference earlier this week, Don. And so it was after you and I previewed the game over the weekend of week zero. Um, and he had talked about how he expected Iowa to employ basically six or seven offensive linemen and rotate them in. And that right. for me was a red flag. And maybe you're going to tell me as a, as a coach, no, that's fine. I look at Kirk Ferentz's history as an, as an offensive line guru. And I say he wants stability along that offensive line. And if we're rotating six or seven guys, that's more of an indictment than a, uh, indication of depth what are your thoughts on that well it's um <clears throat> it's simply an indication here's what i used to tell my guys before, especially before game one game two i would remind them two weeks ago in our staff meeting you weren't even sure who was one and who was two well now you've made that decision you haven't you've identified a starter you have a backup let's not forget about the backup because two weeks ago you weren't sure who the best player was Let's find out in a game who the best player is. Let's give that backup a chance. It's warm anyway. Now, today, heat wasn't an issue, but it might be an issue next weekend or certainly the week after that, too. So give those backups a chance to play. And the fact that Kirk uh, made a statement before the game, we're going to play seven or eight guys, that told me, in Kirk's mind at least, that starting lineup's not set. There's a couple of, a couple of guys that are uh, in – in competition for that starting job it's it's a fine line maybe between either one of them with how they how they've been playing now obviously today maybe somebody moved ahead maybe somebody faltered i don't know but you get it that the coaches are going to go over that video with a fine-tooth comb and they're going to be able to identify who performed the best today if they had that going into the game they've got a better idea now coming out of the game and so looking at the rushing numbers, Goodson ended up with 109 on the ground, but again, what, 58 of those yards came on the one play. Ivory Kelly Martin. You still there, eight Corey? Carries, I lost you, I think. 190. Eight carries for, yeah, what was, eight what carries was the for Ivory worth? Kelly Martin. Um, what was the touchdown worth? Uh, 58 yards. 58. Uh, excuse so, me, 56. And Goodson's total yards. was what again? Uh, his total on the ground was 109. 109, so that's more than half the yards right there in one play. Yeah. So right. you take that away, and of course, thankfully we don't have to take it away. It's very much a part of the game. Uh, got us got us rolling early. 
but obviously, those other 53 rushing attempts weren't very. I'm sorry, the other 53 yards tied into yeah. those other rushing attempts were not very, not very productive. So you could say 18 carries for 53 yards, which is I, I don't have my. You're more of the mathematician. I guess I can do the math in my head, but that's, uh, that's under three a carry, correct? That's 3.0 if you round it to the nearest tenth. Yeah. Okay. Two nine and change. Yeah. And Ivory Kelly Martin did have eight carries for 44 yards. Um, five and a half a carry. I thought he played thought well. He looked good in relief. Now the thing I don't know about comparing the two running backs, maybe Ivory Kelly Martin went against some some twos, uh, and he he was still yeah. inserted, of course, to play with the ones. I don't know who's in the game for Indiana. You got to believe Indiana doesn't want to be humiliated any more than necessary. So I can't imagine they were substituting a whole lot because unless, of course, they are in that same situation of not knowing where the better player is. So if you had to pick a standout offensively in this game, um, Don, would it be Sam Laporta? I thought he looked really rock solid. And I would go with Laporta. Okay. Yeah, he did have a drop early. I think it was a pretty tough chance, as I recall. But it's a it's a play that he would normally make. And there was you know there was a defender that had something to do with it. But the the bottom line is a tough chance, as I recall. And and I, I'm sure Sam would count it as a drop. I would certainly count it as a drop as an old tight end coach. But otherwise, not just productive in running around and catching a ball, but you know what I liked the best was yards after contact. You know, he was fighting for extra yards. That's what I – first time I ever saw him scrimmage, after the scrimmage I told him, I said, you need to know this, Sam. I used to coach tight ends years ago. We had a number 84 that was an All-American. Maybe someday you can play as well as he did. I think that's a realistic goal for you. Uh, but just so you know, you reminded me – uh, Mike Ditka out there. If you're a Bears fan, Sam, you reminded me of D Mike Ditka. And you're not old enough to remember Mike Ditka, but your dad does. So yeah. I saw you when you caught the ball. You're you're looking to run down the field, but you're looking to run over people too. So you saw some of that today, of course. Uh, he's got a really good physicality about him. Uh, you know, he, he didn't want to believe for a second that the first guy's going to get him down. And that's what you want to see in a, in a receiver especially a tight end, of course, that has the size advantage over a lot of receivers that might be also trying to pull through certain tackles. Now, if I'm wrong on this, if I'm pushing the panic button way too early, you just let me know, Don. But I noticed some uh, very, I don't want to say outlandish body language, but, but clearly frustration from Tyrone Tracy after that ball was underthrown to him. Um, is that bad to see that type of body language? I don't know if you, if you saw it there from your vantage point at the stadium, but when that ball was underthrown, you can kind of see Tyron Tracy put his hands on his head as if uh, to just echo some of the frustration that, with Spencer's throw. Yeah, you, you can understand the frustration that he has, but, you know, I, if I was his position coach, I would say, Tyrone, I understand you're frustrated, but um, we don't need to show that to the other team. Uh, you know, we need to – Project that we're absolutely still united, and we haven't we haven't lost one bit of faith in our quarterback for his ability to get us the ball. We don't need to give them any reason for hope. You know, they might they might logically think, well, you know, there's a little bit of dissension there within the within the offense, and and maybe we still have a chance to somehow pull this thing out. Obviously, that that what the the game has played out, but but uh, there's nothing to be gained. It's hard not to be frustrated. And, to show some of that, but as you become a more mature player, I would hope that that wouldn't happen because there's nothing to be gained by it. 
you know, you're frustrated, of course, but you don't have to let you don't have to let the world know that you're frustrated either. I'd rather you just keep that to yourself. Don, we've got an uh, Indiana fan who has a question for you. So Jackson Pittner says, I'm an IU fan. I went to the game. I'm sad. He goes on to say, I don't know if you guys are talking about Indiana, but can you talk about Penix? He looked awful, cost us the game. Uh, he didn't look good. I give a lot of credit to the Iowa defense, not just because we're an Iowa postgame show, but I do give a lot of credit to the uh, back end of that defense. But what, what would be your evaluation for Indiana fans who are questioning the quarterback position after what we just saw? Well, I would simply remind them, let's let's not forget that he's coming off of a, a knee reconstruction. I know it's been a while, but he hadn't played in a game. How many games did he missed at the end of the year? Two at least? Maybe three, I'm not yeah, sure. at least. So think back, the last time he was 100% healthy was probably late October, I guess, almost a year ago. And um, a, knee, a knee reconstruction or whatever the surgery was, pretty extensive surgery. Um, you know, it's hard to, hard to play with that same reckless abandon you had maybe before the knee injury. Uh, he, you can bet he was protected during the spring and during camp. And now all of a sudden he shows up and there's 70,000 people. Incidentally, I think one thing that worked in our favor today, uh, hats off to the fans. Fans did a great job. I, I don't think Indiana realized that crowd noise was going to be such a factor. I think a lot of people that come to Kinnick, if they've never played there, they have the mindset, it's only 70,000. How loud could it be? Well, I got news for them. It's about as loud as 100,000 in Happy Valley or about as loud as 110,000 in the, in the shoe. You know, it's loud. And the fans are into it. And I think Indiana got off to a rocky start in part because the quarterback spent a lot of time trying to change plays. And I don't doubt for a second that he was getting them into a better play. But I suspect there might have been one or more players that didn't didn't get the call. There was there was some communication issues, I think, on the part of Indiana, especially in the first quarter. And, and you could see, I think the crowd sensed it too, our crowd noise is bothering Indiana. Let's do an even better job with crowd noise in the in the next few snaps. And and the crowd was into the game, of course. And I think that gave I think the defense would tell you that gave them a boost to have Indiana have to operate with with a lot of crowd noise. And I thought, alluding to that, Don, earlier before you jumped on, I had made the statement that this was the epitome of how an atmosphere changes a game because. Like you said, early on, I mean, to have the obviously the touchdown from Goodson, and then you could just tell. I, I know that loud crowd noise also affects a, a home defense, right? But, I mean, what we saw at Appendix, especially early, he just looked jittery. The play where he shoveled the ball forward, he lost it, and then he kind of shoveled it underhand forward. There was no receiver in the area, and I thought could have been called an illegal – well, not a legal forward pass, but I should say – I don't know what you'd call all that. Uh, at least um, well, I didn't hear I didn't hear very well what the, not, what, the, but, what the referee was saying but as I saw the play unfold um, there were people around me of course a lot of fans thought it was a terrible call I actually saw it as a proper call the reason I identified it as a forward pass he clearly possessed the ball but only for a split second and then he clearly shoveled the ball forward I don't know if he it was underhand maybe with his yeah. with his palms up or or maybe he flipped it more with his palms down. I'm not sure, but the bottom line is he clearly possessed it, if only for a split second, and then he clearly flew it across the line of scrimmage. And of course, he was out of the pocket. It went beyond the line. I think it was the correct call. 
It's the funny looking, funniest looking throwaway you've ever seen, maybe. Uh, it was, it was and it, it, I was questioning even on replay, watching it on television, whether or not he actually had possession of it because it was so quick. And I thought, well, if he just bats it, that's not a pass. That's that's yeah. just batting a, a loose ball. But I think you're right. He did have that split second possession. Yeah, they gave him credit. He he didn't muff it at all. I think he caught it clean. And then he immediately got rid of it uh, across the line. I, you could argue it was a heads-up play on his part because I was pretty sure they were going to rule it as an incomplete pass. And after a lot of consternation, they came to that conclusion. Even though our fans didn't like it, they were pretty sure it looked like it looked like something illegal was going on, didn't it? But it was the very next play, I believe, that uh, the pass was, well, I should say dropped because it really was. It should have been caught by DJ Matthews, who had slipped on his out route it looked like there i believe it was just a simple five and out route and went right in the hands of riley moss and he returns it for a touchdown I, yeah i didn't realize that was the very next play but i, I guess you're right um <laughs> you know that brings up a good point now of course that ball definitely should have been caught it's clearly a muff but the truth of it is i think if you if you measured it that ball looked like it had a lot of mustard on it i think he threw it hard and of course, if he just threw it a little, if the ball was going, I don't know how fast a football can go. If the ball's going 65 miles an hour, it would have been a little more catchable if it would have been 62 or 63, you know, just a right. little bit, a little bit of pace off the ball still should have been caught. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind, uh, I always talk to the quarterbacks, you know, if the, if the receiver's looking at you, I think it was an out route, not a stop route. Wasn't he actually running an out route? Yeah. Yep. I think the bottom line, keep the ball down. I always talked about the ball being chin level or lower, because if the ball's down into his into the frame of his body, if it is muffed, it's more likely to go to the ground. Right. If it's above his head and it's muffed, good chance it's going to be a pick, and it might even be a pick six, depending on where everybody else is. I do want to run through some of the box score here. For uh, I did promise that earlier in the show, and I didn't get to that, Don. So if you have anything to add here, as I run through some of the defensive. Numbers yeah, I'm going to be Iowa listening because I can't. I've had difficulty pulling it up. Okay, and I can forward you this email that with the I think official I, box I've got score. It now. I've got it through Indiana. I had trouble getting the good version okay. of it through Iowa, but I've got it through Indiana. I'm so Seth ahead. Benson, I thought was particularly impressive. He was all over the field again. I made that comment about Jack Campbell and Seth Benson. Seth Benson ended up with ten total tackles um, in this game. Jack Kerner, I thought looked good. Noah Shannon looked good. I know a listener earlier commented on Justin Jacobs. And Dane Belton, how about those hands on that interception? Again, and your guy, number 13, Joe Evans, forcing that bad throw by Penix. It wasn't actually a terrible throw, but it was good coverage by Belton. And what a catch by a guy who's not a cornerback or a receiver, but is kind of a hybrid linebacker safety type of defender. Yeah, absolutely. There were a lot of people that standed up, stood out. I'm looking here. Uh, Sam had five catches for 83. That's a productive day along a 24. I'm guessing on that 24-yarder, maybe 10 of it at least was yardage after contact. Um, um, frustrating day for Tyrone, two catches for 15. So I was a little surprised that we didn't make a greater effort to target him with the ball. Uh, but the bottom line is, as one of our listeners said, Wadas didn't catch many footballs. And... Um, and, of course, one of the things we were doing in protecting that lead, nothing wrong with shortening the game. Uh, I know going into the game, one of our primary goals was to outrush Indiana. 
And even though we didn't consistently gain four or five yards, we still did a good job when we mixed in some short passes. We still were able to move the chains. Uh, 18 first downs versus their 11, I believe. Is that right, I think? Uh, the number I saw, I believe, was 18 to 10, but you could be right. I'll pull it up here in one second. 18 to 11 was the final. Yeah, you are right. 18 to 11. Yep. But rushing yards, we outrushed them two to one. Uh, we had more rushing attempts. That's important. These are all, you know, you heard me talk about those top 15 parameters. Uh, the ones I'm mentioning are all among those top 15 parameters. Um, disappointing, 13 for 28. 5.2 per attempt. That's not good enough, obviously. We finished with 303 yards on 64 snaps. Uh, we did lose two fumbles, but of course we had the three picks. So we were plus one, officially plus one. Could have been plus three with a little bit of luck. A couple of the balls we had a chance at. Not easy plays to make. Here's a good stat for us in our favor. Penalty 11 for 67 for Indiana. Two for 20 for us. That's significant. Yes. That's 47 yards difference in penalty yardage. And, um, and of course, one penalty can kill a drive. Even a five-yard penalty, now all of a sudden, it's still first down, but now it's first and 15. That extra five yards is a burden uh, to a lot of offense, and certainly it was a burden to Indiana today. Um, kicking game. Let's talk a little bit about the kicking game. Uh, impressive for sure for Shudak. He's officially two for two. The way I see it, he's five for five. Uh, That's what I said earlier. That's exactly yeah, what I said those, earlier, John. All those went through, and, and um, I'm sure you enjoyed that challenge. Uh, but uh, And the kickoffs. My gosh, he, he kicked to the north into the end zone, he turned around and kicked to the south into the end zone. It's yeah. not easy to kick the ball into the end zone, uh, and oftentimes four or five yards into the end zone in both directions because you you think there'd be a wind effect somewhere. For, for what it was worth, I think the, the little effect there was was out of the northwest. Uh, and that's one reason I think that the punting average, I'm pretty sure, probably a little better punting to the south for both teams. Of course, our punter clearly outpunted their, their punter, too. So um, good coverage, good kick returns. Uh, Charlie Jones, don't you love Charlie Jones? He hits it like you're supposed to. If he's going to bring it out, he's not going to be half-stepping. Uh, he is yeah. moving. He is moving. He's got, his, he's got his motor in high gear, and he's going to go with speed. He's going to make a move, maybe. But it's going to be on the run. He's not going to be dancing. He's going to hit that with a lot of speed, and that's how you end up hitting home runs sometimes with those kick returns. Don, I do have a concern I want to uh, bring to your attention, and that is in regards to carrying the football. One of the concerns that I had earlier this August was, um, and, and again, this is probably typical protocol, protocol for um, any Big Ten program, uh, but Kirk had made the comment at, I believe it was Big Ten Media Days, earlier this summer that Tyler Goodson and Ivory Kelly Martin wouldn't be taking many hits during the fall. And I understand you're trying to protect your ball carrier's health. Here's my only concern with that. And I said it at the time, you cannot possibly uh, become efficient in my mind at protecting the football unless you have practice protecting the football. And to me, that has to include taking hits. Now, again, I know you're trying to protect the health, but I look back at the first game last year and I'm looking at the box score right now. Iowa-Purdue last year. Uh, Makai Sargent, one fumble, and it was lost. Tyler Goodson, one fumble, and it was lost. I look at the stat line today, and it didn't come back to bite Iowa, but you have a lost fumble from Ivory Kelly-Martin. You have a lost fumble for Tyler Goodson. I'm not saying there's a cause and effect relationship, 
of Kirk not letting his running backs take many hits during fall camp. Is that a valid concern on my part? Again, it didn't hurt Iowa today, but certainly you don't want to cough the ball up that much. Well, I think it is a concern going forward. The one thing you can count on, all the people on our schedule, they're going to have an awareness of how often each and every back has coughed up the ball. They're going to know. And if, if you've got a reputation for having questionable ball security, you can bet they're going to know it and they're going to, they're going to try a little extra hard to get the ball out on you because you appear to be the more vulnerable ball carrier. Uh, so that is a concern going forward. We coughed it up a couple of times. Uh, great backs hardly ever lose the ball, much less fumble and lose it to the other team. Sometimes you're lucky enough to get the ball back, of course, but it seems to me Tyler's he got he got stood up a little bit. You know, one of the things you got to be aware of when you're when you're forward momentum. I I, th I was wishfully thinking they might even say he was blown blown down with forward progress. Uh, I couldn't tell for sure where the ball came out, and I think I missed that replay during the game. That's one advantage you have of sitting at home is maybe seeing it. Uh, maybe more often than you get to see it in the stadium. Uh, but uh, I was hoping maybe there was a whistle that had start, stopped his forward progress, and then maybe as they looked at it, they would decide he fumbled a little bit later in the play. Maybe it was just a great effort on the part of Indiana, but it was one of those mosh pit type of type of plays, and, and uh, his forward momentum uh, was almost stopped, and a whistle, I'm sure, followed just a split second after the ball had come out. Uh, but it is a concern, absolutely. Um, and the one thing you know is that we've done a good job protecting the ball over the last season's eight games. Um, and the fact that the fact that we lost it twice, we're still plus one on turfs. That's nice. That's a nice thing in our favor. Uh, and yet, uh, you can't assume that you can cough it up twice uh, from a run standpoint, or from a ball carrying standpoint, I should say, because it applies to the wideouts too, and um, and still win the day on turnovers. And as you know, turnovers are critical. So, um, thankfully, our three turnovers were more valuable than their two. It's, it's rare. I, I, I simply I do know this because I've, I've got the stats to prove it. Over the last six years in the Big Ten, if you score on defense, you win 78% of the time. So I found myself thinking today, what if you score twice on defense? I'm pretty sure that percentage might be 100%. Uh, it certainly gives you a better chance if you can put up 14 points as, as a defense. And I get the so defense credit any... for the two PATs. What's that? Is there any uh, substance to that fear of mine that perhaps the early season fumbling issues these last two years have at all? Could you could attribute that to not taking as many hits for your running backs in the fall during camp? Yeah, it's possible. The one thing you do know, if we if we try to protect our backs or try to protect our quarterback, uh, and you know, and we try to not subject them to many hits, there's a risk involved there. You know, you haven't. You haven't been practicing um, as much as you might in game-like conditions. You know, have, are you comfortable with their ball security? I put it this way: if you're a little uncomfortable, you better take the risk of giving them a little bit of live work. You know, just to just to remind them of what a game feels like. Uh, yeah. Because let's face it, they haven't taken a lot of hard hits until today. And and, Ty and Tyler Goodson, I think, usually is very sure-handed with the football. But the problem is, it seems like his fumbles have come. I know they've come in at least these last two seasons. They've come in game one. So yeah. uh, hopefully both of those guys got their their fumbles out of their system. Um, I do want to get to a couple comments here from our listeners. Um, Don Ryan Brock says Moss and Van Valkenburg stand out for me. Obviously, I mean, Moss with the two pick sixes 
Um, and Hankins nearly had a pick six, or excuse me, an interception, had it not that been That was the one the that was called back, right? Yeah, uh, John Wagoner. Yeah, he actually possessed the ball. Um, was that the was that the uh, roughing the quarterback down near the goal line? I missed yes, the replay, but I guess it was a really a good job of acting on the part of number nine. I guess. I think he was it was. Touch, yeah, someone it, said. I think it was uh, a it was a, a careless hit by Wagoner. He didn't drive him into the turf. Uh, like we talked about last week in the Nebraska-Illinois game, but it was a late hit, and he probably should have held back on it. But, yeah, a bit of an acting job. Gotcha. You know, once that we did not win, they actually had an edge on sacks. They sacked us twice. We sacked them once. Yeah. Uh, but all things considered, but, very efficient play on our part. Uh, we and were they put pressure on zone, And even. I think at least two of those were touchdowns, right? Two for sure were touchdowns. Only two, obviously, because offense only scored two. But they were both red zone t- TDs, I believe. Yeah, and no, there was pressure put no, on. No, no, no. Goodson's was not obviously the only red zone no, touchdown. Yeah. Then had to be, had to be a quarterback's. Yeah, so, the the draw play for for Spencer. So that would. Yeah, and there was. Needed. I thought there was good pressure on Penix, especially early by the line. Uh, but he he did have the knack, even though he wasn't a he wasn't quick on his feet today. He was getting rid of the football, but as you saw, that did come back to bite him at times. Yeah, absolutely true. Uh, our red zone efficiency, we were three for three, but obviously two of those three were field goals. So on, if this is correct, three opportunities, three scores, it would be 4.0 per attempt, per opportunity, because we got six points on the touchdown and then two field goals. Um, so Charles Pinster has a question here, Don, talking about the D-line generating pressure with only four. So That's a good, that's a uh, good point. You know, we were getting pretty good pressure with four. We didn't have to load up. Uh, there's a time or two where we brought some extra people. I think one one of those big places, I recall, we did we did um, uh, compromise our, our back end a little bit with one of those long gainers. I believe that was against a man coverage. I'm not sure, but my recall is that they did pressure us with more than four on that play. I believe they did. He was under duress when he threw it, made a good throw. <clears throat> they caught it, of course. They ran out. I believe that was, I believe that was for Eiffel, wasn't it, I think? May have been, may have been. And speaking of Freifogel, we, we haven't really brought him up yet, Don. Um, I thought they held him in check. I mean, uh, taking a look at the final, let me pull up his numbers here. Final numbers for Freifogel, if I can get that name out. Five catches for 84 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, he did have the 33-yard the, the catch and run. I believe that was... I want to say that was a fourth down. I know one of the convert, one of the big catches was on a fourth down, and yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. If I'm not mistaken, I think we did pressure that on that particular snap, and and they were able to get the ball off even versus uh, an extra rusher or two, and um, and of course made the big play after the catch. Yeah, here's a good stat for us talking about our punter. Uh, basically, when we traded punts, we picked up more than seven yards. The average punt was seven yard differential. But then when you throw in the return yardage, we gain even more advantage. Let's see what our return yardage was. Punt returns we have is 9.3. That's on uh, that's on three returns. Yeah, 28 yards there. So 28 yards off of their uh, punting total. And um, their only punt return was actually minus two yards. So what did I say? 28 yards on those eight punts. So that's another three and a half. 
So that puts him down to 39. Basically, every time we traded punts, we picked up 10 yards. I want to remind everybody that you are listening to Iowa Post Game at the Voice of College Football. I'm being joined by Coach Don Patterson, who uh, is joining us on a weekly basis to talk Iowa football and recap each and every game. If you do want to call in, you're welcome to call in. Ask Don a question, 860-499-3332. And if you do call in, um, Don will be able to hear you. You will not be able to hear Don's response unless you have your video feed uh, still going. And, of course, there's going to be a bit of a delay. So if you have a question for Don, call in, ask your question, and then listen to his response. But, again, 860-499-3332. And, Don... I did have a couple other notes here, and we'll see if you kind of share some some of my sentiments here. So one thing, one note about that fourth down conversion to Freifogel is uh, it appeared that Seth Benson got isolated on Freifogel on that play, and I'm sure you'll watch that back at some point. But uh, it seems to be at least an issue um, with Iowa, and I, I know that, that playing more of the nickel or, as they call it, the cash package right. helps that a bit. But does it seem like Iowa has an issue at times allowing an opponent's best receiver to be isolated on one of its linebackers? Well, um, one of the things that Indiana did a solid job with, you could not predict where Fry Fogel was going to line up. There were times when he lined up as an inside receiver on a three-receiver side. There were other times he might be the outside receiver on a three-receiver side. Sometimes he was in the number two spot in the slot position. So they did a pretty good job of moving him around. You can't predict where he's going to line up. Obviously, if they're trying to get the mismatch, they have to line him up uh, a very specific way to be able to match him up on the guy they want to match him up against. And even then, it it doesn't carry much weight, of course, unless it happens to be some kind of man coverage. Maybe it's some kind of underneath man coverage with zone in behind. Uh, In rare cases, of course, it would be man or man free coverage with a a linebacker manned up on an inside receiver. Uh, But most of the time, of course, we, we rely on getting good pressure with our front four and being really sound in the back end. When I say the back end, I'm talking about linebackers and DBs, understanding where we need to fit, um, having really good spacing to be able to defend the field, uh, just having a good awareness of what their tendencies are out of certain formations. You can see if you really study those DBs, there's a lot of communication going on before the snap. And I don't doubt for a second that they're just reminding each other of of what their tendencies might be on a certain set. Um, that's good football to be able to have those conversations even shortly before the snap sometimes. One other note, and I am nitpicking here, Don, so so bear with me, but I had noted a first and 25. This was interesting because it worked out in favor of Kirk Ferentz, but I'll, I'm kind of interested. I wanted to gain your insight into this call. So it's first and 25. Um, Indiana gets called for a holding penalty. And this was, I believe, at Indiana's 40, 45-yard line. Okay. Or excuse me, at, at Iowa's 40, 45-yard line, somewhere in there. And Kirk Ferentz declined the holding penalty on first and 25. So I, I don't know what the numbers say about declining. Now, it worked out in their favor because the very next play, which was then second and 25, as opposed to first and 35, the second play ended up being a like a one-yard gain or less for Indiana. So it ended up being like third and 25. So it worked out. But I, at the time, I thought that was an interesting decision. I would personally think that you would rather a first and 35 situation. What was your what was your thought on that call? Frankly, I would have probably didn't done the same thing Kirk did. 
We already okay. had, uh, they had, when they snapped the ball and received the flag, it was first and 25 at that moment, right? Before they right. snapped it. So they'd already been penalized 15. First and 35. One way a, a lot of people look at it, um, it was that point in the game where you were pretty sure they were likely to likely to throw on maybe every remaining down in that series of downs. <clears throat> so if you've already got first down out of the way, if you can move on to second down and decline the penalty, that's probably a good thing, you know, because you don't want to give them too many chances to make a big play. Okay. So I can understand where Kirk might decline that. You could argue it either way, of course, uh, and you'd have a sound argument either way too, depending on what happened with that next down. Injuries. Uh, we mentioned Charlie Jones. Uh, Linderbaum came back. That was I'm sure I could hear that crowd. I know everybody was silent when Tyler went down after the uh, QB drop, or, or I should say the, the run play for Spencer Petrus. So he appeared to come back okay. Uh, Petrus, I thought. I don't know if you noticed this, but seemed a bit gimpy. Did you notice yes. that throughout the game? It happened on the Q draw. It happened on the Q draw. You know, he he um, he wanted to score. Obviously, he left his feet. Uh, and he he uh, broke the plane, of course, with the ball. But he fell a little bit awkwardly. You know, he, he fell um, from a little bit of height, you know, because he had left his feet. And so when his foot or legs hit the ground, you know, they hit with a, a pretty good thump. And I was concerned that it might be more than just just an, an owie, as we say. Uh, but he came back and played and shook it off. So I guess there's no damage, I'm sure, that the uh, doctors took a look at him or the trainers did and and they okayed him to continue playing so uh, no harm i guess but you're concerned you know that's why i was first off i was shocked did we lose you don I think we may have just lost coach here so we will try to get coach back looks like he's having an internet glitch we want to remind everybody if you're listening to this post game show iowa post game at the voice of college football where we will break down every single iowa result this fall please do us a favor do the show a favor and share it on social media share the link right now from your youtube whether you're listening on the Big Ten at the Voice of College Football or Iowa at the Voice of College Football. Share our link out so your friends, your family, fellow Hawk fans can follow along. And we are taking calls. If you wish to call in, voice your opinion, share your thoughts, ask a question to Coach, 860-499-3332. That's 860-499-3332. And again, we will try to get Don Patterson back on here. Iowa with the win over Indiana today, 34-6. to And this leads into a very interesting week. Cyhawk week, right? It's always an interesting week. We've got two teams who are 1-0. Will we get ESPN College Game Day in Ames? That's a question. I think it's a valid one. You look at the slate next week, that could certainly happen. Um, but regardless, the hype is going to be real in Ames this week. And I think we've got Don Patterson back on the line. Don, are you back with us? Yes. So Don, we were talking a little bit about Iowa state. I don't want to sh totally shift gears here. Um, okay. But these last few minutes of our show this evening, I do want to talk about this Cyhawk game because 
I know you have not seen it, probably a second of the Iowa State UNI game, and neither have, have I at this point. But we know they struggled well, 16 to 10 over Iowa State, which was took me for a huge surprise. We, we know they've struggled with UNI in past seasons, and I'm sure that at least to a degree surprised you. What are you looking for this next week in Ames? Well, I look, I look for um, a great effort out of Iowa State, a great effort out of Iowa. Uh, I will su suggest that today Iowa State's goal was to play vanilla football and win the game. In other words, whatever new wrinkles they might have put in for the season, they were hopeful that they wouldn't have to show any of those today. Now, I, I don't know how it all played out. We're not surprised. We know so much. Of course, I know a lot about that conference, a lot about Northern Iowa because we played them every year. And we know that the best teams in the Missouri Valley can play <laughs> and scare anyone in, in 1A football, very few exceptions. Uh, you know, one of my proudest losses ever was to LSU. But they were the number one ranked team that year. And we played them a lot better than all kinds of, all kinds of SEC teams. Uh, and after that game, Nick Saban, to his credit, he said we will not be hit any harder all season than what we were hit tonight by Western Illinois. That's a great compliment to our team. Uh, Northern Iowa, of course, gets excited about playing both Iowa and Iowa State. And you might recall the last time they played, of course, it was a bar burner too. So it's not surprising that you and I gave them a scare. Um, but I would suspect that uh, Iowa State spent quite a bit of time trying to beat them without revealing any new wrinkles for the fall. They're hoping they can save those for, for Iowa. And you can bet that we'll see some things next weekend that were not shown today. Iowa is used to going up against solid tight ends in the Big Ten Conference, but Charlie Kolar is one of the best in the country for Iowa State. He did not play today, had a uh, dealing with a lower body injury, so we do not, at this point, we don't know his status for next week. But what Iowa does know is what Brock Purdy brings to the table, his ability to scramble. I would expect him to be much more mobile than Michael Penix was today. Um, do you feel that this defensive line is up to the task against a more mobile quarterback next week? I think you're right. I think it'll be at least as much of a challenge, if not more of a challenge, to be able to defend uh, Iowa State's quarterback because he's a heady player. He's certainly not afraid to pull the ball down and run with it. and He's not too worried about avoiding hard hits either. You know, he's a, he's a good, tough player uh, that has absorbed more than a lot of, more than a few hits in all the time he's been a starter. Um, it'll be a challenge. You know, the, the crowd noise that bothered Indiana today will be bothering us next weekend. And part of our job is to quiet the crowd. You know, it's, there's only one way to do it. You got to make plays. Uh, now, one thing that would help Indiana fell into the trap. I was explaining to my daughter because we were sitting together at the game and, I said, one of the, she asked, she said, what can you do about the crowd noise? And I said, well, one thing you can do is call plays that are more all-purpose that don't require you to check out. You know, if it's, if it's, a, if it's a specific play that, that is compromised because of a particular alignment that you get, then you need to change the play, obviously. And that's what Indiana was trying to do early in the game. And I think that bothered them some. It bothered them a lot. I think there were times when not all 11 players were on the same page. And uh, not to mention, of course, they were fighting the clock and they were, uh, you know, they, they were just a little discombobulated because of the crowd noise. So one solution is to simply call plays that are that are capable of going against almost any defense. 
And there are plays like that. Uh, and in those spots, you might think seriously about calling those plays so that you wouldn't have to check out. And now, if it's all purpose, now you can not only stay in the play, you can get up and run it on first out. You know, you don't have to leave those guys in their stance so long. That's when you're more likely to get a false start is they're in their stance and now you're changing the play and they're trying to hear. And it's it's a little stressful for those old linemen to do that. So one simple solution is call an all-purpose play, call it on an early snap count, get up there, get lined up, and run the ball or throw the ball. It doesn't have to be a run. It's just a play that is sound versus any and all kinds of looks. And there are runs and passes that can get that accomplished. Don, I want to give you and everybody who's listening an update. Texas San Antonio right now is leading Illinois 17 to 14 with two minutes to go in the game. Wow. So uh, that's not a good, again, there's still some game left, but now under two minutes to go, Texas San Antonio with the ball at the Illinois 26 yard line. And the so, uh, yeah. So not looking good for Brett Bieleman and company, and that does not look good. I know we can't use the uh, transitive property, but it's not look good for Nebraska. Not a good look for the Huskers. They did win earlier today against Fordham. But uh, Georgia leading Clemson right now 7-0. That's going to be uh, a juggernaut of, of a test. And then Purdue. Purdue's leading Oregon State right now at halftime 13-7. to And I know you're a coach. You don't look ahead probably as much as we as fans do. But you have to look at what happened last week and this week. You've got Minnesota out of the West losing to an East opponent in Ohio State. You've got Nebraska losing to Illinois, who I don't think is going to be there at the top of the West to contend anyways. And you've got Wisconsin losing to an East opponent today in Penn State. Right. Um, am I missing one in there? Northwestern losing last night to Michigan State. So this and week that did not, not that did not better. look like a Northwestern defense either. No. Way too many big plays. Yeah. Uh, here's, here's how they, Wednesday can be misleading. How about time of possession? Well, guess what? Northwestern won time of possession, and we know why. Five touchdowns total 296 yards. Five plays were worth 296 yards. That is a problem. That is not a Northwestern defense. Um, Fitz was probably thinking seriously about Harry Curry today. You know, uh, you know that's not what he envisioned for their defense ever. So um, yeah. you're right. It looks good for Iowa because the West, so many teams in the West have already struggled with the start to their season. So hats off for Iowa. Let's be sure they don't count us as one of those teams struggling after next Saturday. And you saw the numbers from Michigan State's new back. Uh, I believe his last name is Walker. 264 yards and four touchdowns against Northwestern defense in Evanston. I'm trying to figure out he transferred from Wake Forest and yep. Wake Forest is not exactly, you know, they run a good solid program, but I'm thinking, how did Wake Forest let a back that good get away? Uh, surely the guy he was playing a lot for Wake Forest. Uh, maybe not. I don't know, but he looked yep. like a starter I'm to me. Sure. He looked like a starter for a lot of teams. And Hunter Johnson uh, played okay. I thought for Northwestern, but you're right. That Northwestern defense, if it's not strong, I think there's such a slim margin for error with how Northwestern wins football games uh, and with the talent gap that I think you've got to acknowledge and being uh, probably even more of a developmental program than Iowa is. So I, I believe the West is wide open. I know I made the prediction this past week that Iowa will win the West. Uh, had nothing to do with any of the results we've seen so far, but I still believe that will happen. Uh, we'll have to monitor the, the status of Charlie Jones 
Um, I do want to finish off with this comment from Charles Pinster, and this is sort of a, a positive thing to end on, uh, Don, because we've talked about how Spencer Petrus still had some areas of his game that struggled, but Charles makes the comment. He says, Spencer looked much more relaxed in the, po in the pocket in his first game back. I think I would agree with that. I mentioned before you came on, Don, it seemed like he did dial down the fastball. That's the first thing. I'm not saying he, he doesn't throw with some smoke, but he dialed it down a bit. And I did feel like he was going through his progressions. Now, maybe he was missing guys, but last year I remember him zeroing in on players and not really going through his progressions. Um, and I thought his accuracy was okay. Uh, I still, it would still be nice to see some, some long balls. Yeah, one reason, of course, he was below 50% was because of all the throwaways. And as I've already yeah. mentioned, there were a couple of those he didn't have to throw away. He could have run for, I think, a few yards, maybe more than a few, uh, and not necessarily taken a hit either. You know, he could have gotten down. Uh, but he just got to remember some of those times when he's throwing it away, he's actually pretty close to the line of scrimmage at that point. He really is. And uh, yeah. so it's okay to it's okay to advance the ball. It's okay to run it. Uh, if if the coach says not to take hard hits, then run it on the ground before you get hit. But it's okay to have positive yardage when you flush. That's okay. Ryan Brock says Spencer is still having trouble feeling pressure, not seeing that cornerback blitz that Don mentioned earlier was concerning. I agree. Do um, you have any thoughts on that, Don? Any well, it's just a, it's just a, a wake up call. What a great reminder that you need to scan the field when you get your, if you get your bell rung because you never saw that corner. Ultimately, that's on you. you. You can't protect against a corner blitz. So that's really the quarterback's man. The quarterback, that's the whole purpose of skin in the field, of course. And uh, as you've already heard me say, I don't care if you go left to right and then back to the middle, right to left and back to the middle. If you want to always start on the short side, that's fine. I would recommend starting on the wide side, then working to the short side, because now you're looking at that short side corner shortly before you're going to snap the ball. So you take a, light, uh, a late look at that corner, just to ascertain, does he look like he might be in position to come? It's not just the corner, too. You can take a look at that free safety over there to see if he's cheating down to, to um, occupy that space that that corner's vacating. Obviously, if he's going to vacate the corner, then the free safety's got to be moving in the direction of that receiver. So uh, I do think that, that uh, Spencer's more comfortable in running our offense than he was. You know, he's – you can't call him a veteran yet, but he's at least got a few starts under his belt. And, um, and he's, he's more comfortable with his role. And he's, you know, he's a good vocal leader out there. He's, I'm sure he's given a lot of good encouragement to his teammates, that sort of thing. Uh, but um, I still look one disappointment right now. Right now, I'm sure our fans, if they see Spencer have to hold the ball, and look for a guy, and now the play's extended, and now he's out of the pocket. Everybody's holding their breath because they're suspecting it's not going to be good. At best, it's going to be a throwaway for no game. Yeah. At worst, it's a ball that might be picked uh, or um, or maybe conceivably broken up by a defender that Spencer can't quite see. So, And then here's a thought maybe, because part of the problem in, in Spencer's defense, part of the problem is – you might blame Spencer, but the bottom line, when the, when the quarterback has extra time, it's on the receivers to get open, too. Yeah, maybe there's an argument for – we used to spend quite a bit of time on flush drills. You know, we'd practice that. Matter of fact, our players even understood if you're running – think about this. It makes sense in a lot of ways. If you're running a shorter route, 
and the quarterback breaks the pocket. Now think about breaking deep because sometimes a flush can turn into a deep throw. It's kind of funny. Deep defenders sometimes, when the quarterback leaves the pocket, sometimes their brain kind of shuts down and they lose sight of the fact that a receiver might run down the field on them. You know, they're looking at the quarterback because they're trying to figure out where he's going to go next. And they might not even realize that a receiver that's in the corner of their eye, he's actually breaking deep down the field. He's actually on top of the defense. I'll give you an example, a specific example. We had a tight end years ago named Mike Flagg. We're playing in Columbus against the mighty Buckeyes, and Chuck Long was our quarterback. Chuck flushed out of the pocket. Chuck was almost out of bounds. And at the last second, he throws the ball up 50 yards downfield to a tight end that is behind the entire Ohio State defense. Mike Flagg, who maybe ran 4-9 on a good day, somehow got behind all those defensive backs that run 4-5. Well, it's simply because they they were focused on Chuck and not on the receiver that might be breaking deep down the field. So our basic rule was if you're running a short route, think about breaking deep. It's kind of like kind of the equivalent of a double cut again. You know, they thought you were short, now you're deep. And they lock, now they're beaten. Uh, and for that matter, if you're deep down the field, start coming back, you know, so that you're trying to give our quarterback an option with the receiver coming back toward him and then a home run option deep down the field. So that's the How basic way we handle handle flush. I don't know that, that Coach O'Keefe teaches it that way. That's just the way we taught it. From your vantage point, how many of those throwaways were the result of just nobody open? And how many were the result of Spencer missing a guy down the field? I know one play they showed replayed on the Big Ten Network. Luke Lachey was open, number 85, uh, tied in two. But how many of those plays were there? Was there actually an open receiver down the field? Yeah. Um, I think one time, if I'm not mistaken, uh, our backup running back, he was motioned out wide and he went down the seam, and I think he was open d- deeper down the field. <clears throat> and obviously at that moment, uh, I don't think Spencer ever saw him. He might have even been open uh, in the seam where he was supposed to catch the ball. And then even after uh, the play was extended, I think he was open further down the field. I'm not sure because I don't, I don't have the advantage of seeing, seeing all the TV angles. And sometimes the replays don't show that either in the stadium even. Uh, but that's something for us to work on. I think in Spencer's defense, some of the time there simply wasn't anybody that opened up. Uh, and that's, yeah. that could be a good, a good point of emphasis for game two is, is when Spencer does leave the pocket and by time, we got to help him out. we got to find a way to be open. We have to have a plan for how to react when the quarterback flushes to us or away from us. That's basically the only way he's going to flush, of course, is toward you or away from you as a receiver. And, and the simple rule again, if he's flushing away from you, you need to be working in the same direction he's working. But now if you're in position, you, you got to get in position where he can get the ball to you for starters. Obviously, if he's running with a lot of speed to the right, then you don't need to be running hard away from him. You need to be working in his direction, and you need to be prepared to be coming back toward the line of scrimmage to keep those defenders on your backside you got to be sure that nobody undercuts you. And the best way to do that, of course, is to keep squeezing back toward the ball. Let's face it, if you catch a ball in that situation for a gain of five, that sure is hell better than a throwaway, or for that matter, a sack short of the line of scrimmage, or sometimes a quarterback where he's not aware of where he is, he runs out of bound for minus two. That can happen sometimes. But the bottom line, we got to help that quarterback because he's under duress. we got to try to work in his direction, and we either need to be break deep, breaking deep downfield or coming back toward the line of scrimmage. 
And I want to correct something. I made a mistake in a comment I made earlier about Illinois. That game is not into the second half, into the first half. So Illinois has got time. They are down six now. So it's 20 to 14. So my mistake on that, I, I read that, that score um, incorrectly. Um, Charles Finster mentions regular punts. I thought Tory Taylor punted well, very close on some of those punts inside the 10, inside the five. So close right. to having tremendous punts. But it looks like Tory's improved the traditional punt. Yeah, he did a good job today, and and uh, uh, and our coverage I thought was was good. Um, I am a little concerned. There's a time or two where I was a little concerned about whether or not we we're going to get the punt off. You know, they brought good pressure a couple of times, and uh, and I think the one thing maybe here's what I used to call it as a head coach: our punter understood if the only way for them to get back in the game is maybe block a punt. In that situation. We simply referred to this, this punt, this particular punt that you're about to, about to go on the field and execute, is what we call get off. I'm not concerned about stop points here. You just got to catch it and get it out in a hurry. I'm anticipating they're going to try to get to that block point, uh, and I'm not even concerned about a, a punt return at this point. I just want to be sure they don't block it and run it back for a touchdown. If they have to run through our entire coverage team, that still gives us a chance, of course, to, to corral that return man, but. Uh, for God's sakes, just get it off. Get it off and get it out in a hurry because uh, it is a concern. You know, we've we've had a few punts blocked around here. Anyone has, and we need to be sure it doesn't happen to us. But I could see maybe where teams might be encouraged a little bit with the fact that they Indiana came close a couple of times today. Uh, I'm not saying they uh, came as uncomfortably close, but they were in the neighborhood to get one blocked at a time, a time or two, and that's a concern. we got to be prepared for an all-out pressure, and that's when the get-off uh, punt comes into play. We're just we're not worried about getting a great punt. Just catch it and get it out. And in I'll range. answer this question here from this listener. Did we really expect uh, much out of the offense after we jumped out to a big lead? It, I, I don't think we expected much. Of course, you get a field goal in the second half, and that was it. My disappointment in the offense was I never really saw – I mean, so many – like you mentioned, the two pick sixes um, – I thought special teams obviously did a lot of work. I just was un, a little bit underwhelmed. I don't, not saying I expected Spencer to throw for 300 yards and four touchdowns, but uh, I don't think just because they were ahead that that, uh, again, I'm looking solely at when Spencer did throw the football down the field and when he did hand off to his running backs, just a little bit underwhelmed with the, with the blocking, with with the receivers and with Spencer's game. But maybe maybe I'm overreacting on that. I'm trying not to. Um, because yeah. that's you know that's one the, thing I hate about it. The one thing I can tell you, because one of the one of the parts of the report, the analytics that I do, I actually look at games in which a lead was lost. And just to give you an idea and give the listener an idea, last year there were three games in the Big Ten. The biggest the biggest margin that was overcome in the entire season was 17 points. That happened three times. It is not easy, and of course it was 31-3 at the half. We're up by 28. One reason you didn't see us take a lot of chances on offense is because we're protecting the lead. And let's face it, Indiana never really uh, demonstrated that they were capable of putting up a bunch of points in the second half. That wasn't the way the game played out for them. So I think we, I think we were pretty conservative with offense. I'm sure we had some plays in for Indiana that we didn't run simply because we decided we'd go ahead and hold them for some other opponent up ahead. Um, so, 
uh, it wasn't flashy. I think I only recall one, what I would call one exotic. We ran one reverse late. Yeah. Incidentally, that was to Tyrone, as I recall. Mm -hmm. And it did pick up some yards. Uh, so maybe that was our way of maybe trying to throw Tyrone a bone, you know, because he, the um, the other play had happened not too much earlier, as I recall. That was the previous play where he was underthrown. Yeah. Previous play, no less. Yep. I think I think calling that reverse had everything to do with yeah. trying to settle Tyrone down. You know, we haven't forgotten about you. Uh, it didn't appear that we really called plays with the idea of targeting Tyrone, but sometimes it's hard to say. You know, obviously, if the coverage is not in cooperation, then maybe he didn't get the ball, even though we were trying to get the ball to him. Because uh, you could say the same thing about Indiana and Freifogel. I don't think they target. I think pretty much every time they targeted him, it seemed like he caught it. I don't think there were that many balls thrown in his direction. You said he caught five. Is that right? I believe he had eight targets. Eight? Okay, eight. Well, there, he wasn't targeted many more than eight times, I don't believe. Yeah. I'm not sure of that, but that's my perception as the game played out. I didn't think they were trying to get the ball to him as much as I feared they might. Yeah, he had, way. excuse me, he had five catches and eight targets. Sorry, I should have. Eight targets, okay. So yep. there were three others that fell incomplete for whatever reason. Maybe a couple of those were broken up even on our part because we certainly – did a good job of being near the ball. Well, Don, uh, anything else to add on this game? Obviously, a huge Cyhawk game uh, next week, and uh, I'll have—I think neither you or I really know what to expect completely out of Iowa State because we didn't watch the game today. I'm sure you'll take in a lot of tape this week. But anything else to add on the Hoosier win and the Cyclone game next week? Well, the good thing about t today's game. Uh, the defense played well and, and obviously gained some confidence with how they can play because Indiana, based on last season, of course, was a, a legitimate a threat to any defense. So that's good that we gained confidence and played well. We kept them out of the end zone. If you hold a Big Ten opponent to six points, you did a lot of things right. Uh, and the, the good news from an offensive standpoint, uh, there's no way, even though we won by 28, there's no way the offense is going to feel great about how they played. So they're going to show up with the understanding. We got to we got to be better next week than what we were this week. You know, we didn't we didn't help the defense as much as we need to. You know, if you th think about it, this is a pretty good way to look at any matchup. There are really three games within one. There's your offense versus their defense. There's your defense versus the opponent's offense, and then of course there's kicking game versus kicking game. I would suggest to you, Corey, if you win two out of those three, you typically win the game. You know, and today, if you looked at the game, you would have to say, well, the defense for sure won versus Indiana. Uh, you might even argue that our offense versus Indiana was a push. We ended up with 300 yards, but we only had a couple of scores, and we don't feel great about our productivity on offense. That's all true. But the other thing you have to say is we very definitely won in the kicking game. So uh, at the very least, we won two out of three. You might even argue that we won – two and a half or three out of three out of those matchups. So uh, it'll be a challenge next weekend. And I, our guys know that, you know, they've uh, so many of the experienced players have played in the games, know what the, the, um, the rivalry is all about. And let's face it, as you well know, uh, Matt Campbell's never beaten Iowa. And that's one thing that sticks in his craw, I'm sure. So we're going to get their best effort and that's okay. That's what we should expect because that's exactly what we're going to give in return to them. Nothing but the best. And uh, all country boy does ask any news on Char Charlie Jones. Um, 
I don't believe it was addressed by Kirk Ferentz in uh, his post-game press conference. Of course, we've been on here since shortly after the game ended, so I don't have that for a fact. But everything that I'm reading, it was not uh, divulged, at least not any more information that he was banged up on the play. So we hope his – I think he is a, a vital part of this offense and certainly a huge part of special teams. Uh, his, If he were to be out, you know, does Max Cooper start returning – punts and who returns kickoffs would it be ivory kelly martin that's one other thing don i wanted to mention a little bit nervous that they've got ivory kelly martin returning or at least this the the next guy returning kickoffs with charlie because they are not deep at running back right now um and i'm I'm not questioning kirk's ability to make a decision there or lavar woods for that matter but does that make you nervous that you've got your second best running back as the number two kickoff returner right now one word answer i'd say no I'll tell you why. Uh, I get the two Williams running backs mixed up, but I've seen enough of those guys to feel that they're pretty capable runners too. Okay. All right. Uh, and I, I'm basing it only on that scrimmage that they had on Kids Day, I guess. Uh, but I'm pretty. I'm favorably impressed with both those guys. I think they're one that one of those. Uh, maybe it was one of the spring workouts. I actually sat right nearby to one of his family, so I had a chance just to observe him because his parents were sitting right in front of us and I couldn't help but notice you're, you're talking about your son. So I'm watching your son too, to see how he's playing. And he showed okay. I think they're, I'm not saying they're, they're anything resembling Walter Payton, but it, it looks to me like they're pretty capable, responsible, uh, hard nosed runners. Uh, and if, if we lost Ivory on a, on a kick return, I think we'd still have a capable guy to fill in. Um, and the other thing, of course, the good news, if one of those guys had to fill in for um, Kelly Martin, Kelly Martin's an older player. He's not going to be around forever. The guy filling in for him is going to be with us for a long time. So he needs to get in the mix at some point in time anyway. And, uh, and of course, the best way to stay healthy in any uh, play of a football game is just to go hard. Near as I can tell, Ivy's going to do that all the time. So uh, I will admit that on a kickoff, there's a little higher incidence of injury and you didn't see i i kind of like one of the plays that bugs me about college football nowadays is fair catching a kickoff on the five yard line and we don't want to yeah. run it out because we're just afraid somebody might get injured oh okay well do you really appreciate the game of football do you understand it's a contact sport uh i hate that rule i don't like that rule i understand it you know because they're trying to cut down on injuries but I, it still does my heart good to see a guy bring the ball out of the end zone and Charlie Jones yeah. did that several times today. And I'm sure against certain coverage teams, we won't try that. But I'm sure the scouting report, I'm sure I'm sure LeVar felt comfortable. I think we can bring it out, and I think we can get beyond the 25. You know, I think we might be able to make it to the 35, and I think a time or two he did. So, um, and with Charlie, of course, there's always a chance it'll turn into 105. There's that possibility. So I'm glad to see us taking the ball out of the end zone. Against certain coverage teams that maybe have demonstrated they were – they have killer coverage units. We'll probably think twice about doing it, but for Indiana, we felt it was a good risk, and I think that assessment was correct. I think we were out beyond the 25 just about all the time. And I thought, uh, as Amir Smith-Marset's um, career wore on at Iowa, that he became a, a slightly less effective in special teams because more kicks went into the end zone, uh, he took more knees in the end zone, and maybe that's Lavar or Kirk telling him to, to settle down. I don't know, but certainly Charlie showed that fearless 
mindset. And I like it too. I think kickoffs are a great part of college football. And unfortunately, they have sort of uh, lost importance, at least uh, in the minds of many coaches, I think. Yeah, absolutely true. Um, one more comment, and then I promise we're, we're going to sign off for the night. This user says they should have took the starters out earlier. Uh, I think you alluded to that, Don. I can't argue with that. Um, you know, the way it, on offense, of course, our, our backup quarterback went in, I forget the clock, uh, a little under three minutes. Did we lose you, Don? We may have just lost Don. So we'll try to get him back here for the last couple minutes of our show. If you're listening to Iowa Postgame at the Voice of College Football, we thank you for um, making us a part of your evening here on a Saturday that's filled with college football. Lots of great games still going. We're just happy to have college football back and uh, certainly happy with the Iowa victory, a 34-6 to victory over Indiana. I want to remind everybody, if you want to contribute to our show, you can uh, contribute to Mark Rogers at the Voice of College Football, PayPal, Venmo, Cash App. You can find the links in the description. Please make sure that you make a note during that payment process that this is for the Iowa show and help support this show specifically. And certainly we appreciate all the interaction today in the chat. And of course, the caller line will still be open for the last couple minutes of our show. 860-499-3332. We're wrapping things up here with Don Patterson. And Don, we've got you back here. Um, sorry that we got you cut off. No problem. I might try upstairs next week. Maybe it'll, my device will work better upstairs. Anything else to add, Don? No, I'm just really looking forward to next week's game. It's going to be a significant game. Of course, Iowa State's going to drop in the rankings a little bit. It's entirely possible that I was going to be ranked ahead of them going into the game. It doesn't really matter. Uh, safe to say we're going to be very, very much uh, evenly ranked. And um, and the, the betting spread will be just a few points, not many. I thought today was going to be a, a one-score game. but <laughs> I did too. A couple, of, a couple of pick sixes changes everything. And, Absolutely. Uh, I hope do. we have that yeah. same disappointment next week. We thought we were going to get a one-score game, and it didn't happen. As long as we get a win, I'm I'm not upset with that. I don't want to forget this one last question. We just got another question come in. Do you think the D line played their lanes well and got an average pass rush? I think so. Uh, it's hard to assess everything from your seat in the stadium, but sometimes a replay does help you to to get an idea for that. But I thought, uh, um, in general, you know, we we didn't have any glaring mistakes in terms of pass rush lanes. You didn't see a, a huge, you didn't see a running lane wide enough to drive a truck through, anything like that. You know, I think we did a pretty good job of staying in our lanes and 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 not giving Phoenix too many chances to escape the pocket. You know, we had him pretty well hemmed in and he mostly threw out of the pocket. And that's the way we'd like for it to be. We don't want him on the run all day long because good things generally happen when he's on the run. Don, should I be happier with a thirty-four to six victory? I'm not. I, I feel like I need to be more enthusiastic, and I'm caught up in worrying about this Cyhawk game next week. Do I need to? What would you tell a player who's looking ahead and not enjoying the night of a win? 
Well, I would tell him, I'm sure exactly what Kirk told him, told him enjoy yourself tonight. Be smart with your, your decision-making, of course. But um, relax, enjoy the win, and understand that the 24-hour rule is in effect. Uh, you know, tomorrow we got to turn our attention to the Cyclones, and, and this is a preparation that every day must count in this preparation. You know, we have to be sure that we're better on Tuesday than we were on Monday, better on Wednesday than we were on Tuesday. And for that matter, better on Saturday than we were as we finished up the week. Uh, anything less than that, you have to have the mindset, anything less than that's not going to be good enough. we gotta, we got to play better to beat Iowa State because we're going to get their very best. You can bet on that. Well, it's been a pleasure, Don. Uh, we're happy with the victory today, ecstatic, of beating a top 20 team in Indiana, a team that had a lot coming back and I think is still going to do okay. I, I think this was a combination of some unfortunate variables for the Hoosiers, but certainly Iowa deserved this win, 34-6 to over Indiana. And we want to thank Coach Don Patterson for joining us. If you listened this evening and enjoyed what you heard, be sure to check out Mark Rogers at the Voice of College Football and his other postgame shows, 16 different schools. Uh, school channels that have post-game shows each and every weekend. So we will be back next week here at Iowa at the Voice of College Football with Coach Don Patterson previewing the Cyhawk game. And, of course, we'll give you content all week long in lead-up to Iowa and Iowa State. Don, appreciate the time again, and we'll talk to you next week. My pleasure, Corey. Look forward to it. All right. For Don Patterson, I'm Corey Bratta, and the Voice of College Football, we will talk to you next week.